popular nomenclature. Oh. Great word, Aaron. Word of the day. Nomenclature. Binomial nomenclature. Binomial, huh? Interesting. Why why binomials? Uh, binomial nomenclature. That's like homo homo sapiens. Homo oh, sap- yeah. Homo okay. sapiens. Gotcha. That's it's genus. Did you mess with this chair? Genus species. Maybe. How badly did so. you mess with this I chair? I don't really know. I don't really know. My chair was in use, so Where's the use? Huh? Nothing. Did you loosen my microphone? <laughs> I don't think I participated in anything, any such thing. Although, if you'd like to fix it. So, for the viewers, or, I or just realized that here. this is the Stranger Things people. I thought it was the village people this whole time. My gosh. Like Young YMCA man. people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like in, stri- in street made clothes. you think that? In street clothes, you know? Because not everybody dresses <laughs> like a construction worker all the time. Right. Because there's not, there's, <laughs> if anybody would, I would think they would, right? The Native American headgear. Right. Headgear. Or cowboy. Yeah. yeah. Cowboy. Mil- military man. The popo with the visor. Fun to stay at the YMCA. Welcome to the Maven Show. <laughs> I'm Aaron Hoffman. With me are Josh Malone and Jeremy Brown. Hello. YOLO. Jeremy Brown repping the Nike gear, right? Yep. We're going to talk a little bit today about Phil Knight, co-founder of Nike. Super interesting dude. Oh, the yeah. The book Shoe Dog. It's a good one. Yeah. Good one. And I've I've read like a third of it at this point, something like that, but... I think you guys nerded out on it, right? Oh, yeah. yeah it was very good. Very good. I passed that test immediately. It's, yeah. I think you were busy, like, having a baby or something that happened. while I was yeah. listening to right. it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not you, but, yeah. Right. My wife delivering right. baby number four. Well, Sadie. So, she's doing great. But, good. yeah. So, we wanted to get some stuff. We wanted to get this started today talking about, Josh wrote an article did a bunch of research, uh, wrote an article regarding how the market's been doing around us because the housing market has been a little bit strange it's a little around weird. Oklahoma City it's a little area. Weird. We've been a little slow in getting out this uh, this episode because it's like just multiple offers everywhere, a lot of clients, a lot of people looking to buy houses right now. Um, yeah, so it's interesting because I think a lot of people think that because of what's happened with the economy, you know, the Dow down so many points, and then um, Job loss, unemployment stuff that's happened, stuff that's happened with COVID, Yep, all that. I I think people assume that everything's shut down and everything's done. And people assume that when the the stock market is bad, real estate is bad too, right? Mm -hmm. And I know we talked about this earlier in the year or whatever, but this is basically proving the whole thesis that they really are not linked. Um, If anything... Real estate, a lot of economists believe like real estate's the thing that's going to actually bring us out of the the drop that we had mm-hmm. from yeah, all the 
travel industry and stuff shutting down and, and everything slowing yeah. down. Um, <clears throat> because it's so active right now that, you know, it's probably going to help save the economy. So sell your house and save the economy. That's do your that's part. really good. Be a team player. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, basically the, the thesis of this article, we, we sat down and looked at some numbers one night mm-hmm. and we're just kind of like checking out stats on the market and just kind of browsing around. And it was so compelling. I was like, you know, people do these market updates all the time and they kind of drive me nuts. But I'm like, I have to write this because it's basically the best time in a decade to sell your house in Oklahoma. Um, so what happened was, um, we were starting out, you know, the, the last several years have been getting busier and busier, right? Stuff, stuff's what is it, what, since what, How many do we have? What was it statistically that was like the available number of properties and was it residential on this number that had like over 10,000 five years ago? I mean, it was like 12,000. Uh, so it was, the, was it? The, the number of active listings, right? What was so the number, number of active of, listings? I yeah, couldn't remember. So in January of, or, uh, you know, summer of 2010, it was something around 14,000, right? Of, 20, of residential okay. active listings, you know, single family homes. It's 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Now that number is down to something like 7,000. And then really it actually dropped recently too. So, um, yeah. And yeah. that that's around that's that's for listings that were entered in the Oklahoma City area. Right. MLS. Right. Yeah, this is from the the Oklahoma, you know, Association of Realtors data data set basically. So that's in the last 10 years it's decreased right. from oh, number yeah. of actives of about 14,000 to just under 7. Yeah. Now in yeah. the last 10 years. Exactly. So. Now and so so what basically happened when you look at the data uh, if you look at the number of new listings that showed up on the market, um, every so, so spring buying season is always like people come back from spring break, they list their house April to May, and then you know it sells in June. There's a big spike in June, kind of maybe slows down, and then everybody tries to get, go before the end of the summer. So summer right. is always seasonally when most of the transactions happen because it's between school years. Right. Right. So. Right. It's something like, you know, usually you've got 3,500 sales in a month in the summer, whereas during the winter, it's like 1,700. So it's, it's a pretty substantial, about half, about yeah, half it's a pretty substantial months, yeah. difference. So what happened was uh, this year was starting off to be actually a really strong year. So like uh, January and February were, uh, you know, 100, 200 houses more than they were last year, like being listed onto the market. Okay. At and the same then, time. At the same time. Right. Yeah. And then... Uh, coronavirus hits yep, and everybody freaks out. Everything shuts down. Everybody's like, I don't, we don't know how to handle There's this. We don't know what this is, all that, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And so in between April and May, the number is there were 929 fewer homes listed in April, May of 2020 than in 2019. Now, based on how hot everything was going, it looked like we would actually beat that number, but it's at least that number of houses that, the market was expecting to show up that didn't show up almost a thousand, just over 900 right. houses that we would have, you would have looked at it statistically for how the year started in 2020 yep. and been like, Oh, you would have projected. Oh, this is a number that we would have, that we would have had. Do you remember what that would have been right around the time? Uh, how many we would have, have had on the market. At yeah. That time? I don't, I don't yeah. Sure exactly. But it was but over, yeah. it was over 900 houses short of right. what it probably would have had. Right. Had it been, you know, normal year, right. not 
COVID nineteen and all the yep, all the following things kind of the to typical that. pattern of, gotcha. of when they when they time and how they come on the market. And again, that's that's nine hundred twenty nine compared directly with last year, which it was looking like this year was going to be better than last year. Oh wow! So it could have even been. It could have even been more. It could right. have been yeah right. right. It could have right. been closer to that thousand dollar or that thousand right. dollar that thousand number. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. So and then the second piece of what happened was, um, in June we saw this recovery happen, right? So finally, it's really like early to mid-May that the governor removes a whole lot of uh, the travel restriction and like, you know, the the, the emphasis oh, on yeah. quarantine kind right. of stuff, right? right. And so um, the governor basically lays out this plan of this gradual every two weeks, three phase, right. four phase, you know, right. kind of thing. And then yeah. the immediate reaction from buyers was, Let's go buy a house. Totally. Because it's a low contact endeavor, right? Compared with like going to a restaurant or going to the mall or something like that. You're literally exposing your family to one other individual and then whoever's house you're in. And there was, there were several measures that people started taking with like the, you know, the hand sanitizer, the wearing the masks, the booties on the feet. Gloves, booties. Gloves, yeah. yeah. To to where showing houses, it was like maybe you limited to a certain number of people who were entering and exiting a house for a showing. So there were like procedures that were immediately put in place where people, as soon as it was like, hey, let's start to get back to whatever the normal thing was at the time. It was like, let's do this rollout where it's like more and more progressive restaurants would start to open, salons would start to open. And that began people just immediately flocked to sh- let's go buy a house. Oh yeah. No, it was like a so popular thing to do. So. Um, you know, because frankly, it's some of the main shopping you're even able to do at, at the given time. Cause like, <laughs> well, and interest rates are so still no, stupid that's exactly low. Right. That was another historically low interest rates. I mean, there's people even right now, you know, when we're recording this, there's people who are getting 2.99 interest rates. Right. Right. Uh, oh we, yeah. We have a family right now with a 2.85. Yeah. So yep. yeah, it's just, no, I mean, it's, Insane. Like insane. No, it's incredibly low. I thought we'd never see anything like we saw in 2015. I mean, I never thought we would see that low again. Oh, yeah. So, no, no, no. Because yeah. we, we, when we started in 2015, you know, in 2014, when I got my mortgage, it was like 475. And that was a fine score at the time. And you're like, what? That's half, oh, yeah. half of the interest. Oh, yeah. So, um, so basically what you see in the data is in June, there's this huge spike, right? So everybody goes and finds a house in May, and then they, they're closing in June this huge spike in the number of sales, right? To where it jumps up even higher than most normal years. Right. And it's like obviously compensating Mm -hmm. for the, the, the gap where the buildup, it's like a buildup and all of a sudden the buyers can, okay, we can actually go look at houses and purchase. Exactly. But what you don't see on the number of homes listed, you don't see that spike yet. Doesn't recover. Right. And so what we're actually seeing is the number of active listings are dropping to a level that, you know, we've never seen since we've been in the business Yep, that's right. uh, to where it's like, usually, usually there's a number that's always like 5,000 plus, you know, every, anytime you pull up the, you know, residential MLS and it's like down to like 4,600 of, of number of listings yeah, right. around the market, like this section. 45 kind of yesterday right. I checked, it was like 4,504. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, it's just- and so it's, it's dropping and basically needs to recover. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like super hot markets uh, because they, they in the long run, if they last for a long time, they turn into bubbles and that is just bad for everybody. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, and you get, you get certain markets that keep it up for years, right? So my brother is a real estate agent. My oldest brother's an agent out in Columbus, Ohio. Yep. Their market's insane. Like, uh, it's one of those hipster market. A lot of millennials want to be there similar to like Austin or Portland, you know, that kind of a place. And, uh, that the competition for some of those neighborhoods and some of those yeah. areas is just like the kind of appraisal coverage, like guaranteeing, you know, 10, 20, $30,000 over the appraised value of the house yep. because yeah. there are 15 offers in a weekend and buyers like <laughs> quitting because, you know, they're just sick of like losing out on, on deals. I'm, yeah. So yeah. we're, we're not that right. at all. Right. Um, but we're still hotter than I like us to be because it's like, you just don't want that in the long run. When, when is that going to come back down? Right. It, like it, you see that in cycles in every market, you see the up and you see the down. I feel like at this point, I still feel like that will, will stabilize. Yeah. It's almost kind of like the timing at. of it. You could see, you could see where there's so many people who are buying right now and then it will start to slow down again with uh -huh. whatever happens with the school year starting. It'll start to slow down again. We'll get through the winter months. We'll get through the election year oh, and how yeah. that impacts how, the housing market too. Yep. And we'll get to the other side of this. And I'm what I would guess just throwing this out here is just, I think next spring is going to be bonkers for the number of people who are, who are actually selling. Yeah. By the time yeah. that we actually stabilize and recover, it's like that. It they, seems they, like, they may not sellers may not decide. Okay. I'm I don't think it's going to be, I don't necessarily believe it's going to be something that we will see play itself out before the election. And if it's not going to play itself out before the election in terms of like recovery, right. 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 Then it's not going to happen before January. Right. And if it's not going to happen before then, then it's going to carry into the spring. Right. So I think we're going to be that, sitting here and being like, okay, now that it's March, we're going to start seeing a huge number of listings that would, it would be a lot even a lot higher than we would probably even project based upon previous for data like last year's yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that, that's, that's probably right. You know, very, very possible. And how for it gets now, that's out. what I think it could, sure. it could play out. I, I mean, but what it means for people in the meantime is for buyers, you've just got to be prepared to be more competitive with your offer. Um, Super aggressive. I mean, it's, it's insane. Like where we're going to talk about this in a minute, like the kind of offers that well, we've, we've had seen. to make with people. Yeah. But for sellers, the, what that means is like, if you want to sell your house like fast and for top dollar in your area, like now is a yep. terrific time because there's not competition. Like people are falling all over themselves to, to get your house. Um, oh, yeah. in, in most cases, that's true, especially. Fewer uh, houses to compete against as yep. a seller, mm -hmm. but you still see a large number of buyers. Exactly. It's like that pinup that right. pin demand, is right. that's occurred. We've seen that play out over the last month and a half. Right. It's there. Oh, yeah. And so you're, you're much more likely to get multiple offer situation on your place. And not only that, but if however you want to transition into whether you want to get a bigger house, whether you want to downsize, whether you want to get something new versus something that you've lived in that's taken more maintenance and work, right. you can get into a place at historically low, low interest Exactly, rates. which yep. makes any house the, on the market a discount. That's exactly yeah, right. So that's right. for the person who's in a position, and hopefully you haven't been as affected as some of these people who've experienced layoffs and stuff that we've seen, mm -hmm. but if you're, if you're in a place where you're like, over the next couple of years, mm -hmm. you were looking at, I'm going to sell, so that I can get into this kind of living arrangement now. Yep. 
now is the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, now is the time to actually do that, to pull that off, because the numbers, what you're going to be able to buy and the price that you're going to be able to pay for the house that you get is going to be phenomenal. Yep. And you're going to get, I mean, you're going to get top dollar for the house that you're selling. This is another thing that is a little bit unique, that this could be just assumptions on my part. But when you have this simple supply and demand occurring, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> like yeah, we've yeah. seen with the housing market around the Oklahoma City area at this point, I would think where we would see typical appreciation value increase of anywhere from one and a half to three percent, typically from what we see in a neighborhood, right? Yeah, one to six, you know, three being kind of the some of them, yeah, yeah, where it's going to be substantially higher. There's oh, yeah. one that I know of. Okay, there's one that I know of that sold for, you know, a certain amount of money. I'm just going to say certain amount of money Man. just two years ago, right? And we were in a we were in a multiple offer situation where we ended up not getting it, uh-huh. right? But we offered what would have netted the seller almost $25,000 more <laughs> than what they paid for the house two years prior. Right, right. Which is insane. Which is crazy. <laughs> the appreciation. And it's likely going to appraise for uh-huh. whatever it was purchased for. Just because when an appraiser comes out there and they look at that in the situation, where, oh, well, look, you got seven offers on your house in 48 right. hours. Right, right. Um, most, more often than not, they're going to take that, you know, in, into account when they give an appraisal value. So, um, you know, there are going to be re- weird instances where an appraiser is going to try to fight that. Sure, but you know sure. what? Um, Some activists in there. Yeah, sometimes that happens. But I think most of them are pretty... They can be pretty understanding of, you know, the situation that people are in when they're trying to buy a place right, at this point. Right, right, Because they see the, the how intense it is, too. So you're yeah. going to see this, well, all of a sudden, something that your neighborhood is going to have a comparable property on a house for you that will have sold that's going to increase the value and a, the appreciation value in your home substantially higher than it would have yep. in a normal year. Right, right. So I just think you're going to see an increase in value for an entire neighborhoods. Oh yeah. Because of appraised value that these houses are getting yeah. that are going multiple offers and selling. Right. And, and, and that's ultimately kind of supported by every now and then you get a cash buyer who comes in there who can actually just pay it. Doesn't require the appraisal. And that helps to continue to set the bar higher for what then, you know, other ones can come afterwards. Or if it is, if an appraiser knows it is multiple offers, they They'll make it work. The, uh, tendency the market kind of showed up to, to buy the house. Yeah. Right. That's what they end up having to argue. They end up having to make arguments for why it, you don't substantiate multiple offers over list within this 48 hour window. Uh-huh. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's, I think it's not every one of them, but plenty of appraisers are going to look at that and be like, do I want to make this argument so that the value <laughs> is a lot lower than it should be? You'll get some, you will get some who do that. Right. right. But they look at situations where people, they have to buy homes. Right. You have to be able to buy a house. And when the, when the supply is as low as it is. Yep. Yep. That just basic economics means it's that basic yeah. economics that we're functioning in here. So. Price, yeah. yeah but, so quit hoarding supply. Yeah. So what's <laughs> your house? We've got call us. What's your house? If you can, it's a great, it's a great <laughs> reason to do so right now with what you can, what you can sell your place for. Oh yeah. No. And, and, and the other couple data points or whatever are, like the, the inventory, the amount of houses in the market is the lowest today that it has been in the past decade. And it's been a continuous yeah. kind of like stair stepping down over right. the years. Right. But it is like 
then at the end it's like that's right like it is it is low right now and so it really is you know if the last couple years have been good years to do this is an even better year to actually sell your house and get top dollar the other thing is like time on market uh is near record lows the time on market for the average single family residential house in the okc metro is uh 10 days on market wow like the average, which means so you know over half of them are less than ten days on market. Like it's oh yeah stuff selling in two days, three days, four days, all the time. So many there was zero one. days. There yeah. was actually one that I saw that popped up in Hera the other day. So forty sixty five twelve Oaks Drive in Hera. Okay, I saw it hit the market six hours later, pending. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, just. So it had to be a fantastic offer, whatever their offer was. Mm-hmm. But yeah. six hours later, the house was pending. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. I believe that. No, that's just, and there's countless situations we've gone through. Mm-hmm. We are fortunate enough that we actually had a weekend recently where each of us won. It was great. A multiple offers, highest and best situation in the like same weekend. Three in a row, competitive. Yeah. 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 So that was, that was phenomenal. But we've, each of us has experienced multiple offers and highest and best where that has not been the case. Yep. Where we we're talking about offering things that are like seventy five hundred dollars net over list price mm-hmm. and not getting it. Oh yeah, you know, like I've heard, I saw somebody posted the other day another agent who had posted a ten thousand dollar offer over list uh-huh. and not get it, a sixteen thousand dollar offer over list and not get it. Yep. Um, no, I mean that ten. Uh, so you were thinking seven. I've got some folks who are closing this week, actually, um, who they had to make, it was, they were on their third offer. They had almost no closing costs. They were on their third offer. The first one that they they tried to get, they literally offered 10,000 above list price. Yeah. And the agent's response was, oh, you just have to wait to see what this is. (laughs) Like, we just offered 10 over list. Like, what is it, 25? Like, I don't even understand what... Yeah, you know how crazy that offer must yeah. must have been to to get that kind of a response. Well, and yeah. sometimes you're not even guaranteed a multiple offer situation. Oh, yeah. I know we had a family that had an offer in on a we had a full list price offer in no contingency. The house had been on the market for less than eight hours. Yeah, and we didn't even get a notice of multiple offers. The sellers took another offer. They just took another offer. Yep. So you can't. I mean. You can give what people are asking and not be guaranteed that you're even going to get the chance yeah, to go Even higher. without asking for closing costs or anything No closing like costs. Yep. 30-day closing or maybe a little quicker than that. I mean, yep. it was a good offer. It was a solid offer and not a solid now. Not a solid <laughs> offer right yeah. now. Well, yeah, and this is something I know that on the ones on the ones we've seen that are most successful when we, we have a situation that's highest and best and we're, trying, and we're representing the buyer, mm-hmm. the ones we've seen when we're as aggressive – as we can possibly be, uh-huh. like we're as, as aggressive as we can possibly be, as long as they're still the buyer is comfortable with the numbers, right? Because you review what here's what your monthly payment's going to be. Right. Like if if something weird happens on appraisal and you review that, and there's this renegotiation over closing costs based upon what it appraises for, yep. are you comfortable with taking this on? And we have that discussion, and you're as aggressive as possible. It's hard because. You're inclined to think I'm getting a bad deal on this house. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. But the truth of the matter is, just taking into account the current the current interest rates that we have right now, it's like in the long run, it's really about winning the house. Yep. Oh yeah. 
So as long as now, you're still comfortable with those other figures when you're able to review it, be as aggressive as you possibly can be. Review the numbers, be comfortable with it, but that's what you have to do. And, you're, and we're yeah. talking about things where you got to be ten dollars to $15,000 over list price on so many of these situations yep. right now. Oh, yeah, and not even on high-priced homes. Like no, the 10 over that we lost was like in the 150s range. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's yeah. a cheap home right now. No, that's right. So, um, no, I mean, but yeah. so many people, so many people lose sight of that. Like the, the point you were making there of, we, when you think about getting a good deal or winning, you know, winning a negotiation, right? If yeah. it's with one other individual, okay, you're trying to like haggle them and, you know, get them down and look, like fighting over an apple of the market or whatever, whatever. Um, you know, you're trying to, trying to get them to get, come down on their price and beat them up and whatever. When you're competing with multiple buyers that you're having to like scream over and say, no, 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 I'll pay this and get yep. that. You know, like you, that w you, when you get it, you won. No, that's all right. And you yeah. have to be okay with that. Yep. Yeah. You still, you still have to be, listen, it is, our, we have to take on responsibility as we do this to help buyers to review those numbers and really try to give them as accurate a picture as we possibly yep. can. Like we, we have to take on some of the responsibility to do that. Oh yeah. And then also to take on the responsibility to help them understand. It's like the learning curve here. You just don't have time right. to try to fight over, you know, that 2,500 or three grand. <laughs> because like there really is a, because a, it's as hours. Much as you they have hours to make the decision of I'm going to overpay for a house is what it feels like. No, and, that's right. That's yeah. it's, it's hard not to feel that way. But yeah. the truth is the truth of the matter is we look at the market all the time. Like, we, you know, we pretty obsessively review the market and what comes on and what, how quickly it sells and oh, for yeah. what. And yep. So we study that and seeing all these different data points that you've talked about and ex having experienced this now over the last five years, we can look at it and say, you know, with a pretty good amount of certainty, the uh -huh. way that something's going to play out. Right. And we try right. to help advise them mm -hmm. and say, Hey, this is, this is how this aggressive is you're really going to have to be to have a chance at this. Yep. Um, and it's hard for people to be comfortable with that, but that is actually, we're in the middle of it. Yep. That's just what's occurring right now. You have to be super aggressive with if the If you want to buy a house, you had better be competitive. And and it, I mean, this is this has always been our shtick of like, you know, what we we kind of built our business around hot homes and like competitive homes and trying mm -hmm. to be the best performing team that you know trying to find uh, the best it's going to be it's the like, ones that don't that don't so last like long same day showings you know hey we're seeing the house sending it to them like yeah, like really fast kind of stuff and so uh it, it is you hear stories of, of people of like yeah i wanted to see that house but you know i couldn't get it scheduled for like 4 days I'm you're like, never going to get the good house you're never going to buy it. like that's a piece to the game plan where you have to have uh, the help and, and the agent who's going to be able to move quickly yep. is part of why you need to be working with a buyer's agent, which it doesn't cost you anything to work with a buyer's agent. It's completely free for you. It gets paid by the seller of the house you purchase. Yep. First time home buyers out there. You need to know that. Yay. Um, but uh, the reason you need to already have an agent lined up already have your prequal letter lined up from a, a, a solid, reliable lender is because when the house hits, you have no time. Like you have oh, to have yeah. all those details worked out so that house hits, you're in, you make the offer, you've already got your prequal letter and you're competitive. Yeah. Anything else, anything else is you're screwed. You're not going to you're get, never going to get the, the house that you're looking at. Yeah. Yep. No, and, and there are a lot totally of people fair. who hesitate to get those other ducks in a row, but it's like now more than ever, you've got to go get those ducks in a row or else you're just spinning your wheels, even looking online. This is something like, 
even just the principle itself. It's like time, time does not necessarily bring about a solution or clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yep. It's not near as powerful a, a tool of doing that as information is. Yep. Absolutely. And it's like people arming themselves. It takes work to do it. And this is part of what's, whether to be a good agent, you got to take on the responsibility to do this, but it's about actually getting the correct information so that you can make an educated decision. Absolutely. It's not, it's not about time is going to solve. Absolutely. And, and, and if you get the right information, you can take a process that would have taken you months and months and months and like all this time. And it like gets flattened into you know, like a the couple only weeks. People I've been able know? to talk to recently where it's just, this is an incredible time to sell mm-hmm. and buy. Um, and they're not familiar with things like a bridge loan mm. and they feel stuck because they might have to do a contingency. Yep. Right. Yep. And they feel like, okay, well I've got to sell my house in order to purchase this place. But if they have enough equity in their home, just get a bridge loan, disconnect the transactions. Like so that you can compete. Yeah. No, yep. so many people are familiar with that, it. That's another thing too, is with people who have contingencies and have to sell their house right now, it's hard because they're like, Oh, stuff's moving so fast. And I, I've got a listing that we've, currently kind of turned down. I mean, we're still on good terms, but turned down two contingency offers like on my, on my listing for sure this week yeah, right. because we know there's so much traffic, like either one of you guys is going to actually get under contract first. Yeah, that's right. And then you're going to be a real deal or, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to wait till we get somebody who's actually just willing to pay cash or willing to do the normal, yeah. you know, financing. Like yep. that kind and of they thing. don't have to go through the, yep. Hey, let's, let's make sure, let's hope that your transaction actually comes through so that we can close on ours and all the things that are you connected know, with and, that. And a contingency know. that's already under contract is one thing, Correct. but if it's like, you want to just sit in a, you know, have the first right to kick somebody off or whatever, like, you know, basically that's going to cost me an extra 24 hours with my next buyer. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. Maybe not. Well, recently, I mean, you guys, you can talk about your own experience with this, but recently it's been, since like the last month, I probably talked to a dozen people who they, they've got enough built up equity in their current house that they mm-hmm. would need to sell to use a bridge loan, but they're not even familiar with the existence of a bridge loan as an right. option so that you can disconnect the transactions and you don't have to put in a contingency offer on the house that you're looking to buy. Yep. So, oh yeah. Now, and, and unlinking those transactions is critical it, because yeah, I, they're, they're, but there are different ways to do it. So you've got those people who you have to have over 80%, uh, well, sorry, 20% equity Correct, in yeah. the house. Um, and so it's anything above 20% that you can borrow. So say you have like 30% equity, you could borrow 10, you know, right. that kind of thing. Um, so you have to have quite a bit of equity. If you don't have a lot of equity, you have, you have to find a way to unlink the transactions if you can, or be okay with, like you were saying, the, you know, not knowing what, um, what kind of house you're going to get or the exact house that you're going to get. So the, um, I I have a guy who's basically saying I'll sell my house first and then, you know, move in with somebody short term, you know, if he has to, to. because it's Uh, one of those scenarios, man, that's just, when you see, when, when you see what is coming up on the market mm -hmm. four or five times a month, you know, statistically, you can look at a month over the right, last, let's right. say the last six months, and you right. see we have anywhere from three to five occurrences of this house coming on the market. That's of the of kind that of house place that you, that you will want. That's right. Then, okay, you can probably rest assured that you're going to find a house that you will be very happy with. Yep. Yep. If you'll just list your house for sale. Yep. 
Many times, even once you get under contract. So it's like you list your house, you get under contract. Well, that's a very different contingency offer. Like when your house is about to sell it is. and, and, and you may even be able to identify the right one, not even rushing it like during that period. Right. Um, because so many of them are coming and going. It's, they're just not lasting very long. They're co- still coming and going. They're just not lasting very long. Yep. So No, that's right. No, that's right. Yep. So that's all. That's all very important stuff to understand regarding Absolutely. our housing market right now around the Oklahoma City metro. Um, but, you know, let's we should probably transition into talking about some more important things in the housing market, right? Things, things that are more essential to day-to-day life. Now yes. it's time to argue about something that really matters. That's right. Yep. So I think that's what we're calling this segment. Let's argue about something that really matters. So these are going to be different statements or questions, right, that you can either, you can listen to the statement, you can agree with it, or you can argue the opposing points and hear the question and you can pick a side. I feel like Jeremy's going to really be like elite level at this, you know, at least with. You did debate, didn't you? In school you did debate? I'm a sophist, yes. You are a sophist. (laughs) Yes. I can affirm or negate anything. <laughs> Let's test that theory. <laughs> uh, so uh, the first one we're going to start with here. Um, I mean, listen, some of these, it's just like you, there's an obvious correct opinion to have. on the Oh, yeah. No, Ooh. absolutely. So the first one here, um, we're going to start with. There's no here's the statement. There's no there's no correct way to hang a toilet paper roll. Would you agree with that statement? There's no correct way to hang a toilet paper roll, or would you disagree and why? Man, um, ooh. I was literally about to say I disagree, but then I I thought of a scenario. Okay, so let me get, let me get, lay out my thought process, right? I'm gonna disagree with you, but go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> you, in general, right? If, if, it's a, if it's mounted on the wall, okay? Like, it was actually, like, up against... Well, listen, this isn't a college dorm where you just set it on the back of the toilet. Sure. No, 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 no. But you have freestanding. There's you have freestanding mount mount. or a stand or... Yes. Like, so so there's a difference between the stand you know and then the, the wall the mount. You know college dorm where it was just... It was like the back <laughs> of the toilet became this... Catch-all. It was catch-all. Like, it was like reverse Jenga. <laughs> right? Where it was... You keep adding to it. How, just how this, can we make this this stack of uh, yes? You keep adding to it. to it, and you're just like by the time it got to the 40th roll, you're like kind of bending it, twisting it to put. <laughs> I mean, you have to be aware that this is what happened. You guys live Bi- in Bible college under. must yeah. have been a different experience for you. Though, no, you guys lived in houses where this happened with me. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't like the person who was like, "Oh, well, that's the fun game to play," but it was happening. Yep. I mean, I've been in a place where there was no toilet paper in a college house, so, you know. Like <laughs> How McDonald's, did that work? McDonald's <laughs> right. napkins, you know. You're just doing what oh, you got to do to no. get by. Oh, no. Which is probably a whole More motivation to go to McDonald's. Why would we? It just <laughs> yeah. leads to further investigation. Why would there be McDonald's napkins nearby? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's right. Well, no. maybe, well maybe, you maybe you waddled somewhere to get it. <laughs> Yeah, wow. Oh my gosh. No, but so here's the thought process. If it's mounted on the wall, if it's on the back side, then the chances of you like contacting the wall or whatever fixture it's inside of when you reach it, like if it's, if it's coming ar- around out the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, it's just unhygienic, right? Like 
it needs to come sure. around over the Immoral. top. Immoral. I'm so fine with however you away. want to say it. Yeah, no, it's it's pure evil. See, so you can pull away from This is against the, the like exception the is the laws of the United of the United Nations. Go ahead. The the exception is if it is a freestanding toilet paper roll hanger, it can go either way. Because you don't have the physical contact problem. No, I, that's not true. That's not true. Okay. See, I'm I'm the opposite of you. I actually think it should go towards the wall. No matter, like, this it, is should, insane. it should go. Because it, this is because insane. it always, it's easier. I don't know. It always feels easier to pull down that way. I don't know why. To who? To a me. Serial As killer? you drag along the what wall. What are you talking like, what, <laughs> what, are, what are you dragging along the wall? I mean, have you been digging around in something? I mean, you've this been isn't even about. Defecating. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. What makes that easier? The fact know. that it's I back think it's psychological. There, what makes that more psychologically better? I don't know why. In my mind, it's always uh, like the pulling this you're, way you, feels wrong. I don't know. It just You it's, achieve a greater inner peace if that toilet paper roll is along the backside yeah. when you pull. I don't know. It just it makes my Ottman Brahmin. I don't know. What? My Ottman Brahmin. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's to me, it's more about it's I feel like there's I can surely do like one hand and not have to like secure the roll. To pull, oh, interesting. But I can absolutely just, it's one hand. With which way? If it's folded over this way. You can one like, hand it easier. Yeah, like over the top, like toward my body, as opposed to folded back behind. I feel like I can one hand easier. Just a little flick <laughs> oh of the wrist. Gosh. Flick of the wrist. Hmm. Because I don't have to do this See, weird sort of secure it. See, I never. Thing. Yeah, I always go one hand. I'll, I mean, I never use two uh, hands. I always secure it. So like I'm pretty sure, like I always like reach over and like two handed. The only time I'm two handed if it's that. like one ply, you know. That's or you know if the if you've got the if you've got the like toilet paper. Sitting, Listen, you know. if I if it's one ply, there's probably a lawsuit coming. <laughs> there are worse one things. Single ply. <laughs> going on with this scenario. What about you ever do you ever do the thing like where the toilet paper's there? You know, it's like sitting and you stick your finger in there and then you go like this. you ever do that thing? I, Will you I roll can't it around bring your myself finger? to do it. I cannot bring you myself to do it. You put your fingers into the, the toilet paper roll like it's a holder and then you Yeah. Now if I'm doing wow. that, if I'm doing that, I have used the wrong facility. You're if not, I ever find myself in that position, I've made a wrong there decision. There are way too many squares involved in this. I should yeah. never. I didn't do enough investigating mm -hmm. on the front end. Yeah. No, this is not enjoyable whatsoever. I'm just curious. I, this is not on the list here. I I, I will drive extra miles to go to an on-queue just for the bathroom. Quality? Yeah. The yeah. bathroom clean, cleanliness. and Totally. I'm with you. It's pretty much always no, I'm with the you. pick. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. Either that curious. or some rebuilt 7-Eleven or something, you know, like just a, it's a, too bigger, risky. a bigger facility. Yeah, you know? so it has to be a newer, right. like what's this a newer 7-Eleven? Yeah, yep. no, that's right. I'm just curious. But on like, I, I, only, I only go to convenience stores built since 2000. <laughs> oh, yeah, even newer. Even newer. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay, so the next one. These are things that, these are something to argue about that really matters, right? Does anyone disagree with this next one? The statement it. is, do you want to read it? It's absolutely necessary to wash your feet in the shower. I'm a, I'm a feet washer. I'm, I would, I would think, I would think there are three places that are critical to wash. And 
those in the armpits are. Here's, here's the thing about gravity and what happens and what occurs in the shower. Don't do this. Given you have soap all over your body. Where does it run? Does it run up? Does it run straight out? No, it runs down. It's right? true. That's true. Literally, so you could stand in the shower after you soaped everything, right? Right. And what's going to eventually receive the largest volume of soap? You could stand still, and your feet are still going to receive the largest volume of At soap. At least by the over time. the top of the feet. So you okay? Let me say this then: you're not going to just stand still. You're going to move. Sure. You're going to move your feet, right? And so there's going to be soap. Assuredly, there's going to be soap on that in the shower pan. You keep saying assuredly, and I'm not comfortable with the way you're using that word. No, that's right. <laughs> do you do that's you right. do you wash your feet, Aaron? Well, the answer is I do wash my feet. Separately? I do wash my feet, but not in the way that you all do. Do you lift your foot up wow. and take the soap wow. on your hand or a wow. loofah and run it around and through your toes and what? I don't use a loofah. I Whatever. Just say this. Loofah sponge. It's already, I'm already getting soap, all the soap, right? It's what, if you want to call it leftover, but the soap is making its way toward my feet. Especially the underside. It's just I've one heard of the for, dirtiest heard. parts of your body. Like it's See, just, I've heard. It's the Which is why it is, you know, there's, you get, you've got soap at the bottom of the shower. It's great. Everywhere. No. And part of this, part of this comes to like, I, I tend to overwash things as well like Casey doesn't allow me to do the dishes because I worked in a biotech lab for long enough that my level of like cleanliness standards are probably a little excessive for a kitchen right like when I'm cleaning a dish it's like just the level of cleaning that's a, that's that a place you want to be clean I'm just, sure I'm, I'm just yeah, like sure yeah. I'm just way over it's like literally it's clean and then I clean it again I mean it's 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 you're starting to remove excessive. you're starting to re- remove the material that the plate is made of at least layers of skin yes yeah oh. <laughs> no. oh. um so that's hard to hear so i i recognize <laughs> i'm self-aware of like the uh i might be i, I might tend to overwash uh even parts of, of the body as well who knows I don't know. But I've heard people make similar arguments with your logic about why you don't have to wash your butt, and it. That, I don't know. It just bothers no. I'm me. not going to make that. Yeah. Ar- I'm not going to make that argument about the butt. It's the logic, though. It's if you lo- if you follow it out to its, its logical conclusions. It's not the same. Why not? Because of because of the soap. <laughs> because of the amount of soap. <laughs> because of the amount of soap. <laughs> it's like I am. If you want to uh, listen, I haven't done like a statistical analysis on the volume of soap that's going to reach. You know my feet versus my backside however there's just there's just not going to be near as much soap that would actually just naturally fall to my feet and the shower floor that i'm dancing around in why not err on the side of caution is that the side of caution yeah i mean there's a chance you're not getting your feet clean based upon what you're not you scrub that everywhere else it's it's assuming that they're that i'm that i'm not getting soap on my feet all over the surface are you area scrubbing how do you get my like, feet against the floor you have now, yeah, especially mean, with like the potential for fungus buildup and all kind of like it's just yeah, the no, feet are a level that is like you have to you have to 
this is this is treat those with respect. Again, I've there are a few areas of your body you got to treat with respect. I've been complimented Make sure you get on my feet. I, See, I really smelled don't know. your feet in different moments. <laughs> yeah, but you sniff your own fingers. Oh my gosh, you're gonna give that's him, true. Give everyone, him three minutes to sniff his hands. There he did it. Anyway. So is so it? Uh, so we're, it, this isn't this isn't your softest position. This isn't you just taking that for the side of argument. This is your real hygienic process. Well, I don't know why that matters. I'm just curious. So the next one. <laughs> Who wants to read the next one? Did we just tell all my clients that I sniff my fingers? Nothing Watch is, for it, guys. Jeremy, Watch for it. Jeremy, you want to read this one yeah. because you I, obviously this is one you should read. All right. Nothing is funnier than fail videos of people falling or hurting themselves. <laughs> I'm going to be hard-pressed to think that much is, very, is funnier than well, that. Well, well... As terrible. I, 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 I have an argument. I have I have oh, at least is, one okay. argument, okay? Yeah. I was trying to think of, like, give me See, one... because I'm thinking of ones that's just like... So when uh, I've seen it where people are just, you know, their buddy is on, like, the top of a golf cart or something. <laughs> You know, and they're like flooring it into a sand pit. <laughs> and so he just goes launched. It's that kind of thing. I'm just like, this is this is genius and funny in every way. Okay. And hopefully he's fine, but it doesn't right. really matter right. if he is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I feel like even even you bringing up the golf cart only proves my case further. Okay. Okay. Because I think the thing that is funnier than fail videos of people falling or hurting themselves is is watch, watching live from the people do like seeing things. it in person seeing it in person well, the, the, the example that i think of right and this isn't falling and hurting or whatever but but it's jeremy with a golf cart yeah no it's good it's like good. at that uh, golf tournament where no, like good. we were at a client's uh golf tournament <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. It just was it was not funny to me at the time. It was it not was funny terribly yeah. embarrassing, but also hilarious. But he didn't hurt himself. Right. Did I he fall? was stuck not in mud. At that. He was stuck in mud. Like he, like I don't know how he found the one pool of mud in on the course. Did I did I fall in the mud or No? No. You you were drove out. right into it. No. You drove straight Y'all into it. Y'all thought I drove into it, and you yelled at me as if I did drive into it, but James Silberman was driving that golf cart. It was not me driving. But then you were, like, out back, like, behind it, like, trying to push it. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and like, wading through the mud. At, at that point, he was just, trying to salvage it, yeah. The, like, yeah. you were covered in mud up to your kneecaps. Oh, that was bad. It, yeah. Yeah, that's bad. I also and had walking like pneumonia this, at the this time too. Fancy, oh my gosh, that was before it was. Oh, that's cool. right. Yeah. That's right. Is, isn't that what you were? Were you diagnosed with that? Yeah, like a day later, I found out I had pneumonia. And I thought I was passing last a kidney summer, stone. Last summer. Yeah, this was last summer. Yeah, this is pre everything. That was. Yes, yeah, you thought you were passing kidney stone. Yeah. Anyway, that was one of the funniest things I've ever watched in my life. And like, and in, in no way it impacted your um, golf performance. No, I don't it's know. Just, you just can't, you know, when you're at rock bottom. It's, just, <laughs> it's hard to get much worse. <laughs> That's why we scramble. Uh, mm. Well, yeah. I would, I would, I would I, say I, that fewer things are funnier than that. Fail videos. I mean, there's obviously there's comedians that are funny and all that, you know, but predictably if i if you're watching a fail video you're gonna see yeah, something I mean, that's lift your spirits you know what was the one you've there's one that's oh, for your me, favorite my, there's one that I, you have real that's reliable. a favorite oh i have a favorite genre of well, i got two i guess one would be the 
So overweight people falling <laughs> off of horses. Evi, wait. Já tá, já tá com ele mão puxado aí, ó. Well, they're my people, I, and I know what it's like to get on a horse that's too small. Um, it's, it's just something small? about the image of I know the what horse. It's like to get in a car that's too small. Yeah. And then the other, I mean, I love. There's just something about people jumping off of trampolines into pools and that going wrong. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just. Or how it really gets my goat, Steven. Listen, dude. Think about it. Backyard yeah. wrestling. Backyard wrestling, <laughs> right? Pile driver onto a table off of a roof. That sort of stuff. I'm just. There's no good decision making here. <laughs> but for, for whatever reason, these hordes of people are having just the, the time of their lives watching yeah. this happen. Oh my gosh. And I just think, man, good for them. Yeah. And I can enjoy that with them. It's it, makes, it makes me think of that song, you know, where it's like scars heal, glory fades, all that's left is the stories made. Yes. You yeah. know, those people, they'll have that forever. Remember that time <laughs> I jumped off the, <laughs> off the roof and <laughs> pile drive Tommy into the table? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. And, and if they don't remember it, they can probably pull it up on YouTube. You can right. watch It's right. Oh and it really does last forever. <laughs> and the brain damage. So hard to beat next um let's jump ahead here on the tv show the office pam beasley is more corrupt than creed bratton well she even admits it herself i'm full-on corrupt i mean for to- creed bratton the guy who's I mean, there's so many suspicions like isn't he there, is the scranton strangler well, arguably I mean, the scranton strangler 30 percent 30 percent yeah yeah Pam, it's hard. Like, I is Pam Beasley, is she a heroine or is she an anti-hero? She is loved by many. A lot of people love her. But, All right, she overcame I mean, her demons. Have courage, doing the coal walk. Walking on the coals, yep. Walking on the coals. What's your theory about why she's so bad again? Which part? I mean, <laughs> just like you think she's a terrible human which, being. Which, Jeremy, what's your which position part first? Here? It's hard. <laughs> I, I waffle on it. I, I, I like that she changed to some degree. Did she? She did tell it's everybody. Only, she told everybody her truth. Time. She told it's everybody her truth. It's only a matter truth. of time before she goes back to the way that she was. I mean, late seasons, late seasons are really interesting because they hit closer to home, like, over the last five years because... Like when Jim's off, going like, to do his work. working like crazy to, to try to mm-hmm. create this thing. And then there's even this weird like relationship thing that she has with, with the cameraman. Yeah. Right? And, and, like to, to where it's like just way too emotionally connected. No, and, I definitely and didn't finding like finding something there that she's not, you know, finding with her spouse instead of like we're pushing through and working through the things to get it with her spouse. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, avoiding conflict. So, nothing negative about Creed here. Have he sprouts monk beans? I mean, that's... Creed is... Bow body? I mean, that was genius. Bow body. Bow body. Bow body. It's www.creedthoughts.com. 
com slash forward or backslash dot gov. First thing we really learn about Creed. The first thing we really learn about Creed is he convinces Michael to fire Devin. I think it's Devin instead of him. Right? Yeah. And he says, you're never going to regret this. You're not going to regret this. Right? And he basically just argues Michael into firing, firing Devin. And then you find out the casino night, right? That he just steals things. You know, <laughs> that's like just, pocketing. this is, this is what he does. He just uh. steals things. Right? And it escalates over time, right? To where he makes fake IDs. Uh. Well, do you right. remember also he has a business that he runs for his <laughs> fake IDs out of the back of his car? Kids. Yeah, that's right. Well, he's Not also supposed like he to be doing himself. What about right. when he's supposed to be doing quality control wow. and the paper goes out with the watermark in it exactly. of the beloved cartoon yes, character? Yes, and he gets that lady things. fired and he's passing around the the that card where he there's money, people are giving money to the woman who gets fired. <laughs> and, and the last thing the you money. see is he steals the money and throws the card away, <laughs> right? And then on Halloween, everybody's dressed up. And there he just walks in, and he's covered in what looks like blood. And they're just like, whoa, what a costume. And he's just like, yeah. I really lucked out on that <laughs> I really got lucky today. <laughs> right? Oh, and then there's, like, the narcotics police who are, like, walking in to, to bust Toby because um, Michael put a caprice in his drawer, like a caprice salad, thinking it was weed. And, like, the police are walking in. And and he like immediately stands up and raises his hands. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it just it gets to where the, it's the last episode, and he's he's it, being arrested. It's he's the classic. Arrested. It's the classic debate of is the pure villain the more villainsome, or if that's a word, villainsome, villainsome. You know, the, sure. Is the pure villain the more the more immoral, or is it the one that pretends to be somebody they're not? That's, no, that's, that's this is where. You know, he even talks about it in an episode where he he it's more fun to be a follower in a cult, but you make more money as a leader, <laughs> right? And you know he's speaking from experience, and right. yet, in my mind, it's not even close. Pam, the artist for, formerly known as Beasley, now Pam Halpert, is by far, if you if you were if you as a superhero, your powers were destroying people's dreams and trying to steal a boyfriend from somebody else and like always giving up when life gets hard you'd be the perfect uh, superhero as pam beasley right i i still think creed's worse as the murderer listen potential murderer listen i mean just think about this let's just go through a rap sheet here right she fails <laughs> art school after wanting to go to art school right even we, if that we, gets in the way of like roy who by the way when you think about it roy it seems to have done really well for himself having escaped he really turned the relationship that he had with Pam. Was was Roy's problem that he was was Roy Roy because he was with Pam? I'm just saying, just throwing it out there. This is in the realm of possibilities. I put that on Roy. I see your skepticism. I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> right? So the list continues. Hated that Jim wanted to start his own business. Hated it. Uh huh. Right? To the point where she's he's over there like feeling like he has to do something in secret to start a business and she thinks that like maybe he's having like some sort of relationship on the side which is like no pam that's not what jim's doing that's what you would do after my oh wow snap <laughs> and keep in mind she was against him starting his own business after she had gone with michael to start the michael scott paper company hypocrite Think about that. Let's just keep going. Creed's still worse. While we're, while we're on this, let's just keep going, right? So, Hayes said he would start his own business. 
um, thinks that there's like some sort of, he's having like some sort of secret relationship with somebody when it's just all she did for the first three seasons of The Office was flirt with somebody she was not in a relationship with. Oh, uh, yeah. Projecting, so you say. Just saying. Um, tried to catch Jim in a lie about whether or not he was attracted to the new girl. Remember that? And she resorted to like Dwight and having Dwight try to discover it. Mm. I mean, just the fact who does this? Who who does who aligns with Dwight? But that's not even the worst of it. So heads up to anybody out there who is like a Karen Filippelli, right? Because just when you think things are safe and you're going in with a job interview with the one that you love, Pam might be there, Mm. slipping in a yogurt lid with a note that says, "Don't forget where you came from." right to steal your man away from you oh yeah you already like landed you know landed the fish how does that one set with you jeremy it's pretty that was pretty pretty terrible what yeah yeah didn't see creed doing that yeah i mean we a lot of things you didn't see creed doing Creed is Creed is Creed is a hardened criminal that knows what not to do on camera. Hey, listen, if Creed is the Scranton Strangler, then he is partially responsible for what ultimately brought Michael and what's her name back together. Holly. Holly back together. And that right there may be Creed's saving grace. If he's what brought <laughs> the architect of the best relationship in the in the show. Because that was the most beautiful relationship. Moving on in let's argue about something that really matters. Does the five-second rule still apply? Oh, whoa. Five-second rule. No. Ah. We're having a little bit of this discussion. And there is, like, a, a companion rule that's, like, the debris rule. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you don't, it doesn't get talked about as much. Elaborate. But you're talking about, like... Well, is the five-second rule true if it's, like, in a cattle auction or something? <laughs> something ridiculous, like, just ridiculous locations like that? And it's like, well, but if you get the stuff all over it, yeah, I, I mean, that's I, never I, been I would agree. It depends thing. on, you know, like, Jello. Jello, unless it's, like, just on, like, super clean tile. I mean, there's no So let way. me get this straight. I'm about to argue with two people. Are, are you four? I am the five second rule. I am for the five second rule. You are too, uh, but right? I'm with generally the, with the debris. I'm generally caveat. for the five second rule in known places, and the food isn't like super sticky, you know, something like and that. If, known places. If anything, a like house, if you, as long as you're familiar with the environment. If I were in a, am I'm in, you know, Walmart, I'm not eating something. Well, I'm not. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm. Yeah. Other places you're not comfortable would, with eating off if of If I drop something on your floor, I'd probably be okay with that, you know? If it were like a, a you know, something pretty non... It's, it's like a... What's the word? Sounds non-adhesive. Like believe in the five-second rule. Not like a chip. I would eat a, a chip. non-adhesive? Yeah. Like a chip, a hot dog. Yeah, sure. All those things. And also another factor that rolls into this is how hungry am I? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, if you're on a camping trip, if you're on a camping trip and you drop something, you know, you're probably going to try to dust it off. This is just limited food. Survival mode. Scarcity really has a big impact on this. Um, See, I think that you would be pretty lenient on the five second rule. Like you would be not necessarily a strict adherist. 
Is that right? Is that the right term? Adherent. Adherent. You wouldn't be a strict adherent to it, but you would, for the most part, you would be five second rule, right? Yeah. You don't necessarily say it, but for you, Josh. Well, uh, the more, the farther I've gotten into this whole parenting thing, the, the less I generally care about a whole lot of things. <laughs> Well, related to, related to like, I would think it goes the get, other way. I'm going to get real dirty you would care anyway. More or, about more things. No, I mean, once okay. you have like enough snot all over you and all, you know, just just in terms of the the, the cleanliness kind of stuff. Now I know they're your kids and all that, but um, I would say if anything, it's maybe extended a little bit. But again, with the normal caveats, right? I can't even believe I had the debate whether or not my feet are clean by the way that I shower. <laughs> The fact that this discussion is occurring the way that it is right now. It's the smell. This is... I. It's the smell that I find so offensive. I can't possibly understand. Well, uh, part of the feet thing for me with it is particularly with you. I mean, I take you as a clean person. Because I am. Because I, I I'm to right believe, about washing feet. I used to believe you were a clean person, Aaron. I, I just had a high, I had high expectations for you. See, I think, see, this is, now I just totally, because I'm not, I don't do the five-second rule. I think that's just, you're going to throw it away. Immediately. I'm going to throw it away, because because there's, yeah, yeah. Any contact with the floor, it's. Basically, like, basically. Wow. What if it's frozen? What if it's like a frozen thing that's going like to be Like a hard cooked? candy. Or a hard candy, an M&M. Well, okay, I don't really have like candies. We don't have a whole lot of candies. That's fair. I'm just saying right? in general. You drop an no, M&M. No, I mean like we just don't have a whole lot of candies. So we've created an environment where it may not necessarily apply. Hmm. So you got to come up with something else. Yeah, so, come. Hey, you know, what's what's your next? What's your next option so for a Dorito? Here? You drop a Dorito. That Dorito's going in the trash can. Probably. Wow. Probably. Yeah. The love of Doritos would overwhelm that, man. No, no, and this is maybe where, you're just farther on the whole like abundance and scarcity thing, you know. On that scale of yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, you yeah, and your I palace. I don't know that that's true. I think that, I think that I'm just. Well, what is it? What is it about it that you guys are fine with? You just blow on it, and literally microscopic germs are gone. No, it's just like because you blow on a chip. Probably not like, a substantial accumulation of those microscopic germs. That's all. That's. Uh, I mean, I kind of just think the likelihood that my hand is as dirty as the floor is pretty good. I don't go there. Uh, (laughs) Which probably says more about the cleanliness of your hands. (laughs) And you're worried about his feet? You know, hey, you know, I'll just, the hand washing thing, the campaign that came about because of COVID, it worked on me. It worked. You know, I'm definitely a more frequent hand washer than I was before. Right? Well, that's, and that's why you probably aren't building up as many antibodies. You know, See, I'm, I'm compromising, compromising my immune system. system. You're compromising the whole system. I'm really, I'm counteracting all the benefits of eating off the floor. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've all these years. <laughs> what have I done to myself? Oh, my gosh. I just, I will say with Josh's theory about children, have you ever gotten like a real gritty kiss? A what? Oh, a gosh. gritty kiss from a child. A gritty kiss? A gritty kiss. Like they got oh, like no. dirt in their mouth or something? Yeah. Or just a... Oh, no, 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 no. I reject that as soon as I see it. You don't have a son. Get away from me. I reject it as soon as I see it. Both of them. I mean. No, it's like you should clean your face. Clean that. Clean your face. (laughs) 
Don't you touch can, me. Your with, kiss is unacceptable. Yeah. You have stuff all over your mouth. You can go clean that. And, we'll, and then I can love you again. Don't touch me with your dirty face. You're going to get me all dirty. <laughs> Makes me think of Alvy the racist dragon. Oh my gosh. You're getting it all dirty. Don't touch, don't touch my tail. You'll get it dirty. In the marmalade forest, forest. between the make believe trees, in a cottage cheese cottage, lives Alby. 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 The racist dragon. <laughs> all right. Well, um, yeah, we are. We're all going to agree on that one, right? The, st- on the statement regarding morning people. Morning people have friends. I mean, I'm going to disagree with that. Yeah, like I, I, I know we were talking about this earlier, but I think uh, they are morning people because they're trying to get away from people. And so I think that would minimize their friends. Uh, yeah. Jeremy, you're a morning person. What are your <laughs> thoughts? There are a lot of successful people that have lots of friends that are morning people. <laughs> you know, a lot of here, morning people, you hear a lot of morning people, especially older baby boomer esque people to go get the, go to the coffee shop with their friends. Sure. You know, meeting up at the coffee shop. My friends just need me more morning people. I want to get some coffee early on. I don't know if I'm capable of fixing so, it. So, Jeremy, are you a counterexample or not? I have friends. <laughs> right? He's the exception to the rule of the mor- of the morning person. I think there's lots of it. Tony. Like that's, I just I just wanted to see him convince himself that he has friends. Like that's, <laughs> Tony Robbins points out that there are lots of successful people. You don't have to be a morning person to be a successful person. And I think to be a successful person, you have to have friends. You just have, it's a part of it. That's a good. That's Unless you're like a king, you don't have to have. (laughs) In which case, the vagabonds and the peasants can do as you wish. Yeah. Wonderful. No, that's fair. Yes. I I don't know if it's respectable, but it's fair. Right. (laughs) Um, Any of these that you guys want to explore before we transition here into the last segment for our for our podcast today? I, I still I'm a, I think the zipper merge question. So explain this. So explain this. So a zipper merge is the proper maneuver when driving an automobile when you're approaching a work zone and lanes converge from two lanes into one lane. And the zipper merge would say that you should both lanes should be filled until you get to the point where the lane ends. And then people take turns going at the at the actual lane. It's like an every other car can now merge. Right, right. Thing. So I drove myself to the emergency room. That's a nice relaxing drive. No, after you. Merge, everybody, merge. Most people would say it is selfish to do a zipper merge. In Oklahoma, at least. You oh, get yes, yes. Judged hard. Very passionate. I've, I, I see lots of memes of people saying that they will drive into the cones or push you into the cones before they let you pass them, you know, a certain point right. before that. Right. Um, because I think you, like, cheated to get there. Yeah, you cheated. You were looking out for yourself. Everybody else was kind of serving everyone and starting to get oh, yeah. earlier, way earlier than they had to. 
And I used to think that. I used to think that, but then I saw the science and like the math behind, like when you actually do the, um, it's like the calculus on it even, like uh-huh. you can kind of figure out the. You might be changing my opinion right here as we sit. I've so, been, oh yeah, no, because and the reason specifically I've wanted, to, I've wanted to chase people down and follow them who have done this very maneuver you're talking I've, about. I've pulled over into the left lane and just gone super slow. Oh yeah, I've, yeah, I've done that. This. I've thrown garbage totally. out my driver's side window. <laughs> it's like, okay, I will, I will litter. <laughs> I'm gonna make sure you're nice to everyone. <laughs> I've, like, em- I've emptied the contents of my vehicle on the passing car. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gone that far. I haven't gone that far. McDouble yeah. rapper. Yeah. No, exactly. but, but but it is like uh it, it's a function of we're trying to out nice each other and like think of ourselves as being nice, but it's not a thing that actually makes I've just thought sense. I've been right about it. I just thought I've been right about it. Well the signs all. they say merge now. That's what they exactly say what they say. Now. Yep. They say yep. merge now. The signage is not helpful. The that's signage true. is not That's helpful. true. That's a good point. It needs to be just... So it's actually correct that they should basically catch up to the where the um, work is occurring, where they got mm-hmm. all those cones and stuff. And all the cars should just... You basically just form two lanes up to that point. Right. Uh, right. And, and it all has over. to do with volume because you can get more cars into the space and then you're getting consistency of it going. Whereas otherwise, you just get a slowdown and the volume goes further back for longer. The bottlenecks. Right. That's my understanding of how it's been explained. Um, There's just less less indecision about whose turn is it or what. You know, so like the zipper merge people who are trying to actually do that. Yeah. Right. Those are the heroes. Well, and you have to, I mean, I'm sure. So I'm sure there are people that are also just thinking. It's going to be hard for me to not emotionally respond. It is Next hard. time I see somebody trying to do it, though. Just because the habits oh, have yeah. built up. Well, just, I mean, I think there are. Like, sometimes you're in a hurry and you're like, well, I'm not going to. I think I'm not going to get over. I need to go as far as I can and then try to get over. Like, I've done that before. I'm sure. that jerk. Yeah. So. Sure, sure. <laughs> and I did not have, I was not thinking. That's why for the, an advocate. For the greater good. <laughs> you know. I must do the zipper merge. And, no, no, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> trying yeah, to may, be faster. It may be an interesting approach to, like, when you see the merge now, like slow down next to the person right next to you, but then just stay in your lane and just move. See if you can get people to like start stacking up behind you as you're like slowly going along with the traffic. So you're not like cutting everybody. Everybody mm-hmm. hates a cutter. Right? Oh yeah. The you're cutting thing is. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're clearly like not cutting and, but you're like not merging yet either. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's like just it's so hard experience. because a lot of people are going to hate you. If you try to do, if, if a bunch of people try to do the zipper merge, there'd be a lot of anger, I think. And it just, there's going to be some sort of education about it. Eh, More anger, education. Anger's going to happen. It's going to be there no matter what. Aaron, I mean, Aaron doesn't care be. about anger. It's about what's the best for doing what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, what uh, what works? What works? What works yeah. the best? It's a great best. question. What works the best? What works the best, which is a great transition to our next segment. Can I try one more? One more? One more? That's fine. Because he I'm brought up this whole time travel thing. <laughs> oh, God. And I'm like, good Lord. <laughs> okay, well, how was so, it phrased? So the phrase is time travel, thought-provoking idea, or most annoying plot device ever. Jeremy, would you like to state your position? By the way, the way you stated this, it sounds so elitist, the way that you <laughs> stated this. Oh, my this. gosh. This- <laughs> 
Hey, I, you know, I, I didn't know if this would be the way they got asked. I was open to changing them, but I mean, I'm definitely, I, I think time travel, there are very few movies where as soon as time travel gets introduced, I'm just, I'm, I'm very done with the movie. You're like, I much. guess that they threw out their brains before they decided to finish. Yeah. The writing like they must be thinking less because of time travel. Something happened in this. So there's this linear Linear events happen, and something happened in there that's unexplainable. Well, I guess somebody traveled back in time and did something, or traveled in the future and did something, or, I mean, it's, yeah. I, I have very, very particular so views only, on time travel. you're not going to throw Back to the Future oh, out yeah. as this incredible thought provocational work. That's a word. But Austin Powers, right? Yeah. Exactly. Didn't he? He didn't time travel. He was frozen hyperbolically. No, he did time travel. Did he, he did, time travel? Yeah, I, think, okay. I, think he tra- I think he traveled back in time to like gold member and whatever. The, okay. Okay. Yeah. This, yeah, that was the last one, wasn't it? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So just going to completely throw those out as the cinematic marvels that they are. <laughs> I I really don't like time travel. <laughs> have you ever Have you ever seen Looper? I have seen Looper. Okay. That one I can't remember how. It, so in, in my in my thoughts about time travel, all actions are accounted for. So if you say I want to go back in time and I want to change the future, whatever you done has it's already happened to where the future will never change. It already was in that timeline, and so it's already all happened. Anything that you do, you think you're doing something to change it, but it's already accounted for, and there's going to be no net difference at the end. Well, and that, was that the way Looper, that's because you that, have a particular theory of time. That's there, how there, I, there's like that's a, my theory. a theory and B theory. I don't remember which one's which or whatever, but like that's one of the theories of like how time works as opposed to, I think you could go yeah. back and you would in fact be changing something. I know and there so are people there's that literally think that like, there's that's that, a question, right? Very, very impossible to take one or the other as the assumption, assumed reality, right? Because we're talking about something. Well, that, it like, depends. How, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you could have never experienced, you know, the effects of time travel up to this point, but then that doesn't necessarily mean it's not a thing. Right? I'm yeah. just over here, just like but, Infinity Wars. Like you couldn't <laughs> even enjoy the movie. Exactly. That's crazy to me. Because in my mind, here. Like uh, is Infinity War? Is that the uh, is that the Marvel isn't that the, one? Is that, that the yeah. Marvel oh, yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Where the, the, I, yeah. Haven't, I haven't seen it. So have you? I actually, haven't seen it. Have okay, you seen? Okay. Have you seen well, Doctor Strange? Because it's all, it's all completely yes. Doctor yeah. Strange is. I actually my... like Doctor Strange as a movie. What? As a yeah. movie, I, the entire premise. <laughs> well, the, the thing I appreciate, I, yeah, there's some, yeah, I, I liked it, but um, oh no, like that's by far my favorite. Uh, well, I, it's like. Doctor Strange and Black Panther, like right there, of like my favorite Marvel movies. But the thing I loved, uh, for me, the thing I liked about Doctor Strange and why I thought it was so cool is just how it took on a lot of the um, Eastern vibes and like it, it's just very cool how every one of those movies has its own thematic, its own theme, and okay. that one was very East. It was just re- it's really cool about how they did that with. Each, that's why I like that one so much. You are such a so, man of contradictions. It seems it's just I don't even know a walking. But but you hate the <laughs> no because in my mind in my mind and and maybe this is because I like overly complicated things, right? Do Anytime you? it's inter- uh, yeah no yeah. <laughs> to a Go fault. Ahead. Don't let me interrupt. You. To a consistent fault. <laughs> Keep going on that note. Um. So 
I like making things complicated just because they're more fun that way. Uh, so, That's exactly, yeah. But and then, and then because of that, when like time travel gets introduced as a piece on the board, you're like, yeah. oh yeah, this is about to get a lot more layered. And yeah. obviously you've got cheap uses of it, right? But there are other uses of it that actually make the movie much more deep. And you're Lost. like- Lost. Oh yeah. Oh, Lost was so lost. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, because then you're like having to second guess I, all the different realities and like, wait, have I? What have we seen this before? Is this accounted? Is it not? Like it brings you, draws you into the debate between like A theory, B theory, time, like all this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it just makes it way more interesting. I think it's a terrific plot device in most uses. Obviously, it can be cheap. But I, in the, a very I, large amount of uses, I think I appreciate it's it more whenever they try to be consistent and take out the um, conveniences. The more they can, the more they make it actually consistent with the worldview, and it gets inconvenient. Sure, but, the but again, that's because you're importing a theory of time into in like imposing it on the situation. Boom, pocket aces. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I just have. I think I. Yeah. Anyways. You're like, well, I just think I'm right about that theory of time. I, I, like, have you ever considered it? Like, it's I just. It's just like, well, there's not another theory about yeah, time. There's, there's no other position well, I mean, about this. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think my beliefs about time fit into like a theological view of time. There's plenty of debate within that as well. Like so, in that, like, anyway. yeah, yeah. We can go down this rabbit hole if you want to, but to say that it's the only one is insane. That does impact your viewership appreciation oh, yeah. of shows and movies and and, and uh, i don't oh, have yeah. a strong you know position on which theory Most of don't. time i believe Most is don't. accurate just, i'm aware of them and uh, you know mm-hmm. appreciate anyway i'm not aware of what mine are at all and that allows me to appreciate whatever it is <laughs> oh they just hop back in a time machine what's gonna happen next cool <laughs> sounds good I, that's, anyway. that's, I guess it's just one I have a hard time suspending my belief around. It's, it sounds like it. Yeah, it does. I could tell. <laughs> and my wife loves Doctor Who, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The no, worst. Right. The worst time travel you show. You guys seem very compatible in that subject. So Great. Yes. Yeah. That's uh all right, well that wraps it up. Let's argue about something that really matters. I thought that was great arguments, guys. Oh yeah. I mean, this is this is important stuff we're talking about here. Very important. So trying to really get down to the bottom of life's grandest riddles. I, I think the world's a better place. I'm now. just glad we got to Marvel because literally like, uh, yeah, I'm currently searching for a little Dr. Strange and a little Black Panther figurine to like put beside my bed. Uh, <laughs> that's so, so doc, much I like. You like Dr. Strange and you like huh? Black, dark, Black Panther. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like though you really like those. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Why? Just curious. Uh, biggest character development on Strange, but then also the time stuff. Like, I, I like that. Um, and and the way that that climax, like, what it builds to, and the way that all plays out. I won't spill any beans here. Um, and then uh, like, um, Black Panther because he's basically the the best archetype of like a a good man leader in the whole thing. Cause you have so many who are just riddled with, uh, you know, everybody's got their flaws, Faults but and serious flaws to make and, up yes. for the superhero capabilities, whatever. Right, right. But he's just like really strong. Like, um, 
as a, as a, as a man, as a leader, you know, I, I just, the, the sacrifices that the, you know, willingness to like take responsibility for his people, like all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, he's just, he's like the best guy mm-hmm. pretty much in, in the whole universe. Who's your favorite? Who's your Marvel? <laughs> I don't know if I have a favorite. I mean, well, no, I mean, I, it's, it's probably going to be Iron Man for all sorts of weird different reasons i'm sure <laughs> pretty funny <laughs> i mean it's just you know in terms of ultimate sacrifice what he did eventually decide to do eventually yes yes yeah. that's it's pretty heroic so yeah iron man's my favorite as well I mean, I like, he's such a great character. He's a like, work, like the work ethic thing. I like his work ethic. Like he's just like crazy, like always into something new. And always a workaholic. Creativity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like he's like, like the Elon Musk. He's Elon yeah. Musk is the real Iron oh, yeah. Man kind of. Yep. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a, that's funny. Yep. That's a funny comparison. But yeah. No, that's interesting. Well. Anyway, good stuff. S- speaking of, uh, I can't remember what, I don't remember what you were talking about earlier, but we had this. <laughs> Zipper merges? <laughs> Zipper merges? <laughs> Speaking of merges, we're going to merge into their next segment. <laughs> oh so uh, w- we started reading uh, Shoe Dog. So Phil Knight, co-founder of Nike. Yep. Right? Yep. Net worth of like $39 billion. The guy with had a the dream. It's so big. Uh, this, so this book, we wanted, to, we wanted to try to start reading through some different things that were um, – just like works that people really highly recommended Yep. business people or philosophical, or it could be anything of everything, yep. honestly. Yep. Um, yep. And this was one that people just recommended all over the place. Shoe dog. Phil it's Knight. like our Maven book club, basically. Yeah. yeah. That's the idea with it. Yep. So, so and this is one that I know both of you guys have, re- you've already read the whole thing. Um, yep. I'm only like a third of the way through it. And when you say uh, co-founder, it was like, yes, he had other people, but he was the guy with the idea. He's, oh yeah. He's right, the one, yeah. you know, he wrote like a thesis at Stanford that was basically, we need to start Japanese shoe companies. And he was like, wait, what? Yeah. And then right. was just dying to actually figure out a way to do it. Yep. Yep. And so that's when he, the book kind of starts with, he's back living he's back living in his parents house after being away for yeah. like s- seven years or something went in the military got his undergrad at stanford or or at uh, oregon no he, yeah you may be right oregon. he got it at oregon and then he ended up getting his master's at stanford and then That's he right. he had like a little bit of a military background and he's back living with his parents and he's talking about just like how did i even get back here yeah like, and it's just like this uh but he does lost he writes I mean, he writes not like a dude who you would think was the founder of a shoe company, but like a historian, writer, linguist type. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That level mm-hmm. of writing that's just fascinating. It's more like a humanities type. Yeah. yeah. The study of people. Yep. It's like he writes that way. It's absolutely fascinating from the oh, yeah. So. And and it's it's a pretty spellbinding book the way he like lays out the different. He's, he's a very good storyteller. Images. Very and, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No, because he's like talking about like looking at climbing up Kilimanjaro or whatever, and like thinking about all the different people who've gone before, and you know, just getting all romantic basically with yeah. all these different, you know, 
all the different ways you can describe meaning to it and think about how important it is and all, all this different stuff. And then think about it like cross culturally. And I don't know. He just gets lost in his thoughts thinking. Wasn't about expecting it. that. Like I'm literally yeah, going, romance into, I'm going into this book thinking just yeah. like business, business stra- book. <laughs> yeah. strategy mm-hmm. and just like, which he does plenty of, right? Yeah. Even yep. if I'm a third of the way through it, right. but there's still right. plenty there. And he like wants to, to talk like, about the temple of Athena. And, and, oh, yeah. oh, he's very much like a, a oh, yeah. meanings guy, like putting meanings on things. Like I'm a, I'm out going on a seven mile jog, and I'm stuck at home again with my parents. What mm-hmm. am I like? Very much having a um, you know an existential crisis as a young yeah. man about yeah, right. what's my life mean. Never really had those. I don't have those kind of thoughts. I don't yeah. have those kind of meta meta narrative thoughts about my life like that. Oh, right. really? So, yeah, I don't, that's not. See, I do. It's like the way I, I don't know if that's the way that he says it. He's just like, like my friends, I wanted to be successful. Unlike my friends, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that yeah, meant. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what that meant. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, but that's the existential crisis he's having. It's just like, but he's twenty four years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is funny, like the thing that winds up being this, like the saving thing is just like putting one foot in front of another, just doing the next thing with the thing, and it's just yeah, right. That's just funny. trying. Yeah, right, right. Oh, that's it never got much more complicated than that for him. Yeah. No, that's right. But he speaks like one who's having an existential crisis, and he's, there he is. He's, tw- he's 24. You know, it's not like most people think of a 24-year-old. They, they don't have too many important things that are on their mind right. necessarily, right. which, you know, they should, but most people don't think that they <laughs> right. should. Right, right, so, right, right, right. No, I mean, it, it's interesting because it's like you could tell he was really trying to deeply think about his life and like how mm-hmm. to have an impact and how to actually go somewhere and how to not get caught up in the, the trap of respectability that his dad was in and mm-hmm. all that kind of Super stuff. Super important the way he talked oh, about yeah. that. Yeah, oh, that yeah. Was. Um, but like how to, actually, how to actually go take on something that everyone was telling him is impossible and seemed like completely ridiculous. Um and just trying to think through like how to actually accomplish that. Um, but I mean, it's interesting cause I, I find myself, uh, and then especially like historically much more that romantic type thinking about, you know, how it all connects and how meaningful it is and all this. <laughs> the, main, the meaning behind the meaning. Oh yeah. And no, I've, I've walked down the yes. streets of Austria looking at the old cathedrals and stuff, <laughs> having all kinds of thoughts about what I, yeah, <laughs> I'm totally that romantic. Oh, but Just think about where we've come from and where, oh we're, where we're going and how we got to where and we we're are. We're so and... much stronger than we were yesterday. <laughs> we'll get there. No, that's oh, yeah. really good. I love the, I love the way he writes it. It's so attention grabbing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Very moving. Yeah, I mean, there's there's almost like a motivational the way he unfolds the story. It's just it's it's almost motivational in the way that he unfolds mm-hmm. the story. Oh know? yeah, it's, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. and it's it's funny because he uh, he states at the very end of the book that when he sat down to write the book, it was because he wanted to relay these lessons, right? But then yeah. all throughout the book, you're seeing these things. You're like, as a business owner who's like mild, mildly successful, right? You're like. Yes, that's a thing that's so critical. Yes, that's a thing that's so critical. And you just see like the breadcrumbs throughout the whole book. And then he's like, and that was why I wrote the book. (laughs) To make sure that you guys get this and how big of a deal it is. It it was really amazing how relatable he was as like knowing he's a billionaire. You don't read that book thinking this guy set apart and like different than you or me. Right. I mean, he is like, he definitely, you know, there's, 
he kind of has a style like where he like paints his side of the picture. That's like very heavy handed in his direction, but then he like goes back and then tries to build up the case for the other side and like his shortcomings, his shortfalls. And like, there is like a, it's, he's very, it's. What's the example that you're thinking of right now? Um, Cause I know you were talking about Johnson earlier. Well, I mean like Johnson's one of them. I mean like there is the thing about like his leadership style with yeah. his first, um, very first employee. Like he's got this employee, he's in Oregon and then he's got an employee that's down in California selling shoes and like Johnson, his first employees writing him letters every day telling him about what went well, what went wrong. And then he's, and then he always almost always ends the letter with, I'm getting incredibly discouraged. Please send encouraging words. And <laughs> please he basically, send encouraging <laughs> words. Yeah, please send encouraging words. And then he never, he just keeps getting the letters. Like every day he gets a new letter and he never responds. Um, yeah, Phil never does. Yeah, Phil, Phil, ne- never, Phil never responds. Phil never This guy who's just like in the throat. Literally like begging him, stuff. begging him to send <laughs> encouraging words. Yeah. But then his justifications and his guiltiness that he feels like, so he feels yeah. guilty about it and he's like, man, I'm a terrible leader. But, and then he also like a quote that he always would talk about was a quote from General Patton that says that don't tell people how to do things, tell them what to do and let them surprise you with their results. And he has this, like, part oh, of his yeah. leadership style very much is just, like, handing people over what you want them to do and giving them the responsibility. And either they 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 get it done the way that they want to get it done, but they're more invested. They're more mm. passionate about it whenever you do it that way. Right. And so that's kind of the, the yin and yang of his relationship with his employees is this, like, letting them accomplish their ends, the end that he wants, but the way that they want to do it. And he's not like just overbearing and like really telling people how to do their, their thing every day in the day to day, which I think was a strong suit of his. Yeah. yeah. And I think another thing would have been just like, it seemed like his comfort level, his comfort level with risk personally yep. is like on a, in a different stratosphere <laughs> than other people where he's literally having the meeting with it's uh, uh he's over in Japan and he's meeting with those individuals <laughs> trying to, here's my proposal for the start of this shoe company and this business together. And they, but, and so he's gone through the conversation in his head multiple times, obviously going yep. over there, but he didn't think of the name of the business. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, he yeah. Was going yeah. No, Cause the way he's pitching it is like, we are ready for your, you know, <laughs> and so in the Japanese moment, shoes, the first question market. they ask him is what's the name so of your business? So what company are you with? Yeah. And he was like, <laughs> Blue Ribbon Sports. Like, literally just, yeah. like... It comes yeah. up with the name yeah. of that on the spot. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, it's right. just... Because there was, like, a blue ribbon on his wall in his room that he always looked at or whatever. Like Between that, yeah. that and, like, saying that he'd already started something on uh, one of the coasts. He already started an office on one of the coasts when he's reporting back to the, the uh, Japanese consultants with the uh-huh. business. And and was, it's not true at all. Yeah. He hadn't... They didn't have an office on, like, the eastern seaboard or right, something. Right. Like, but he's just saying they do. Well, we already started it. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, there's it's some like, weird stuff. I don't know what like, to think about that, but your comfort level with just yeah. doing oh, that. Oh, yeah. Because it, it's not just risk, it, but it's also like this bizarro like negotiation situation with like the cross-cultural stuff and all this to where like yeah, he basically true. felt like if he ever showed a chink in his armor or whatever. <laughs> so he would like tell them that that's and then true. he would go build the office on the other coast, like to basically make it true. No, that's how it played out. That's right. absolutely right. Right. Yeah. Which is like, mm, that's they were, pretty leveraged. <laughs> yeah. There were definitely yeah, points. That's interesting, though, the negotiation side of that. Yeah, the because like he, 
if if he let on that he what he wasn't that, then he was going to lose their shoe line. Yeah, right. And then he wouldn't have anything to sell. Like, yep. yeah. There were definitely points in that book where I had I found myself having like sweaty palms. Like <laughs> I'm just like, uh, oh yeah. No, it, it's it's funny because like reading it, I was like. You know, maybe I feel a little better about our cash flow problems sometimes. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> yes, like, you know, maybe we should be more aggressive. Like, <laughs> well, because he was to, that. That dude built some crazy stuff, crazy fast. It, it reminded me of a story. And, and obviously, there's good debt and there's bad debt, and you know, hard to say where he falls exactly in the sure. in the earliest of days. Um, <laughs> but it made me think of a story of a guy. Cause a lot of people think like, if you're going to invest in real estate, you need to invest like all cash. Right. Mm-hmm. And like that yeah, whole deal. Right, right. And I had a client who, who was a big believer in that mm-hmm. for a while. Right. And then he was like, you know, but I, I, I actually got me a new mentor. This was like, you know, months into having a relationship with this guy and yeah. I already sold him how, you know, uh, he was like, man, I, I got this new mentor and he, he is a really, really well off dude in Oklahoma city. And he said, man, if you keep doing that, what you're doing, you're going to be a millionaire, but you're never going to be a 10 millionaire because (laughs) to make that jump requires leverage. And, uh, especially in real estate, like it's not, it's a very, as far as leverage goes, it's not like you're borrowing money from a bank to go buy shoes and ship them across the ocean, hoping that they don't, you know, you don't lose right. them in transit and right. then, you know, hoping that they sell so that you can turn around and yep. maybe make the more, the interest payments in time. You know, like all this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. It's like, no, you're leveraging it against a property that is an asset and it's cash flowing and all you know, yeah, right. whatever. And so I just, I thought that was uh, like someone who is as successful as him talking about like just life in debt. Oh, sure. But it's a totally different type of debt than most people live in. Cause he was like really uh, like his office spaces, his personal stuff. Like it was all like as pared down as you can be like his personal expenses, as low as they can be for a long time. Mm-hmm. That part was not extravagant at all. No, no, yeah. no. The, it's right. all about the mission. And for him, it's like the way he says it, he sees the com- competition of entrepreneurship as fulfilling his desire for like sports success. Right. Yeah. It's the thrill of the game. It's the chase. It's the competition. It's, it's the mission that he was on. Right. The way, um, the way he said it late, late in the book was, um, business was no more about making money than being human was about making blood. It seems, uh, (laughs) yeah, it seems a shame to throw all the experiences and everything under the head of business. It was so much more than that. So much was always in the wind. You're, you're always fighting for our lives, right? But it's, it's always about the mission. They're, they're trying to change the world and like create this running shoe culture, right? Whenever that what didn't exist previously. Right. They wanted mm-hmm. people to wear those shoes all the time, you know, all the time. And it was like a mission for them. Yeah. And that's what it was always about. And so he was like, whatever I have to do to, to accomplish the mission. Well, that's, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, there was a lot of thoughts there. My favorite <laughs> quote of the book was, 
uh, Bowerman, his coach, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who was like just this crazy dude who like obsessively was like tearing shoes apart and rebuilding them and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's like to to specific runners' feet. Oh yes, <laughs> like, oh yes. He was like obsessive about their feet. No. <laughs> like you <laughs> haven't awesome. lived until you've competed in shoes made of cod. <laughs> That's what Bowerman said. <laughs> oh my goodness! And it's like uh, he was obsessed with how fast those, you know, and light those shoes were. But this is like the brains behind all the shoe designs, mm-hmm. like especially the early stuff that actually made them so successful. Yeah. Like if you you haven't lived until you've competed in shoes made of cod. The, the, that coach was very interesting. Like some of the things he talked about, like the, they were the men of Oregon, you know, like the people that lived in oh, Oregon. Yeah, right. Like the ethos of an Oregonian and the idea that like the people that live in Oregon are the people that either survived on the Oregon Trail that like didn't That's die. I spoke about it. That's or didn't ever leave to get there. Um, they never set out to get there in the first place. And like, yep. so like if you're an Oregonian, you're a winner kind of thing. And it was also interesting, like the, some of the practices they had, like there was a thing like where they would, like the runners like to deal with pain. Here, let me so I can hear you a little bit better. Oh, about. sorry. There you go. Um, something about like they would heat up a key. It was like a piece of metal. Oh, yeah. And then stick it to themselves, <laughs> like to be like better, like resolved See, with dealing with pain. I wasn't sure. Maybe my, my reading comprehension was terrible at that point or something. I thought he just did that as just like he was pranking kids or something. <laughs> Was it just something Maybe about I'm wrong a key about and like he would do that. I was just like that was his way of Nothing joking about with the Bowerman kid. Was was pranksterish. It was. Pr- that's it was, why I was confused I about that. That's the way I comprehended it. Was just like, why would he do that? But no, that's. I think it had to do with just like dealing with pain. Like he was just a like he was one of those pain, kind of coaches, so. you know. Like you know, I don't know if you had one of those kind of coaches. Now he was the one who came up with the name of um, the Cortez Nike Cort- mm-hmm. or the Cortez shoes uh-huh. at the time. Is uh-huh. that right? Uh, I believe so. Because they basically so. they were coming up with, and it's it's one of the most popular shoes in the history of Nike as a company. It's actually, if you want a reference point for what that looks like, Forrest Gump wore them. Uh, yeah, I just felt yep. like so, running. <laughs> I had like three pairs of those Cortez if, growing if up. If he can really? run across the country in those things, that's, then, r- that's <laughs> right. So, but the name was basically there was Adidas was going to have like some. They threatened some sort of lawsuit about like the Aztecs Aztec. as a name of a uh, shoe at the time, right? So they were competing over the name of that. And so he was like, who was, who was it who defeated the Aztecs? Was it, Co- so this Bowerman, who defeated yeah. the Aztecs? Was it Cortez? Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. That was his, <laughs> that was his way of not the most Adidas. Not the most PC name selection. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's right. right. But ingenious in terms of but, the battle going on between the that's two. That's right. Yeah. As far as big, clever. Yeah, that was the kind of guys that they were. That was the level of competition. He talks about hating losing. Oh, yeah. Just like it wasn't Bauer- even about winning. It was about hating. I hated losing. Bowerman, Bowerman had this whole incident. I'm sure you read this where, like, a truck driver kept knocking over his uh, mailbox. Yeah. <laughs> he, oh, yeah. He literally rigs explosives. <laughs> Like he rigs up explosives, so the guy what runs into it and blows. What kind of? <laughs> Which Bill told, told the story like to just illustrate who, what kind of a guy Bill <laughs> Bowerman was. You're like, Which whoa, it's crazy because it seems like Bowerman was to Oregon, almost like Bob Stoops or Barry Switzer is to like Oklahoma. 
Like uh-huh. that seems to be the level of like, well, I mean, he was a U.S. track coach he, for yeah, years, right. like the whole nation. But like yeah. in Oregon, he was definitely like, he came with clout. Yeah, that's right. No, that's absolutely Can right. Can you imagine like Bob Stoops? Bringing up, bringing up explosives <laughs> in his mailbox. Getting back at this lonesome truck driver who keeps running over it. Just, uh, <laughs> it's like some loser who doesn't care about oh, life and nearly definitely. Enough, and uh, just, so for you, so for you guys, you I was going to say a scene for me that I think we can all kind of relate to. There was um, the first time they had like all three, like they had the the Olympic runners were all going to be wearing Nikes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's this scene where he's like sitting in his recliner and they're about to have the final at the Olympics. And he's like, this is going to be the first time on the world scene. Nikes are going to be there. They all qualified Nikes and it gets like, he goes to zoom in on the guy's shoes and he's wearing something else. I can't remember what it was. Mm. Um, And like he talks about like how he felt like he was going to slide into the floor out of his recliner <laughs> in just depression and just like wanted to turn off all the lights and everything. And it ma- definitely made me think about like how it can feel like when you've done like a ton of work for somebody, like he got him all the way to the, to the final race. Yep. 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 And then they gave the line light to someone else. You know, it's oh. like that instant when you've, you've sold a house, you've actually, you've done everything for a client and, and then they take it to somebody that doesn't deserve it. You know, like, like you've, you've fixed the game plan for them. You've helped them understand themselves, figured out everything. And then oh, yeah. they just go right with somebody You showed them 15 yeah. houses and now they know we got to build a new house and they go to a builder and cut you out of it. And like, yeah, or whatever you get the money for them. You figure out their financing. Right. You, you deliver the hand, deliver the papers for, to the lender <laughs> that they need to get qualified with. And they're like, Oh yeah. By the way, I've got a friend that's going to write this contract for me. I'm sorry. That just blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> And this is why, this is why we asked more questions up front than we used to. We learned, of experiences. We, we've learned a lot. This is we've learned this a lot man. <laughs> from yeah. those painful experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly right. And then you try to learn from that and make sure, you know, okay, well, this is going to work out. This is going to work out for them the way that it's going to work out in the end. And I'm not going to, uh, you know, I'm not going to resent them or, uh, I'm not even going to get involved. With this, so I'm going to help them go ahead and they're going to use somebody else at that point. That's fine, you know, but let's discover that early on. Yeah. Because yeah. they're going to, if yeah. they're going to do that, they're going to do that. Oh, yeah. So I'm, let's find out, you know. But, but you know, even, even with that, I'm very grateful that I've never had a bill for $25 million in, uh, in customs fees. Oh, my goodness. Because of com- the competitors maneuvering to try to twist things and make it to where they owed extra customs fees. Oh, wow. For the entire, entire time. Right. And having to deal with the bureaucracking. Yeah, <laughs> like just this creature, you know, like, like, and, and, and trying to, trying to actually get it, the decision maker to actually make the fair decision on something as ridiculous as that. Yeah. That was a big issue right before they went public. So literally all, wow. everything we know of Nike could have been killed by the United States federal government. Oh yeah. And we, all the nice cool shoes we wear. It was like based on what the shoe was valued at. Yeah. And like the way that those, like that accounting happens, 
And whether it's like at the final sale price or if it's at the price you bought it or like wow. all different, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they basically tried. I don't to, even remember the exact detail, but it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it was all at the behest and lobbying of companies like Adidas. Exactly. Yeah, it was Adidas trying to get the government to go. And I hate that. That's, that's corporate. Oh, yeah. crony. Oh, that's, that's crony crazy. capitalism. But, but then right he there. had another like senator who was going to bat for him too. So like he he had political figures on his side yeah. trying to, yeah, I mean, it was this big, like literally like inside that, the house and Senate, like back and forth, trying to, trying to fight for his company They're like for their lives, basically. So what, they, they all, been totally screwed. what all details do you remember from that story? That part <laughs> of what happened? Cause well, that's just like, um, that's like such a crucial that has to be such a crucial part. Oh yeah. For I mean, he, at the end of it all, he's, he still had, they had to pay like a $9 million, like a $9 million settlement. To it was a significant settlement, but they settled instead of it, And they had to, to, so that someone would feel like, Hey, we got something or whatever. Yeah. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, but they did end up getting him way down from the 25. Do you remember what year this year this was? I think it was in like the early seventies. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. No, that's. Well, when did they go public? I don't even know. God, that's just crazy. Yeah. If I, they even survived that. Oh thing. yeah. Oh yeah. Twenty-five million. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that was again in like the seventies. Yeah. So they went public oh, in 1980. Is when they went public. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So for you guys, when you look at, you know, there's stuff that people. You know, you can't. There's the most important things you want to take when you mm-hmm. read books like that. Uh-huh. Yep. But for you guys, there's the stories, and there's just like, okay, we can see how that translates into our business and where we've seen examples of that play itself out in its own way, its own unique right. way in the real estate business and real estate world. Yep. But um, are there, what are the things, any number of things that you take from reading a book like that? It's just, yeah, there's almost like this camaraderie of experience yeah, that exists, you know, that we've referred to a few times. It's just, it almost like affirms, for me, it affirms, okay, some of those same stupid things that, that we've done, they were stupid and we've learned from them and da 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 right? And then there's like the affirmation of feeling like you're on the right path yeah. because having gone through those things and gotten to the other side, uh, that kind of gives me hope as I'm reading through them. You know, yeah. that's it, there's that those sorts of things. What are the most important things that you would gather from what you recall having read that? Uh, specifically, like the, the the commonalities or the could the, be anything. Yeah. I mean, it could be anything. Whether it's the commonalities, so, whether it's just you the, know, the, you know, what stood out the most is whether it's lessons to be learned or it was just that was it was fascinating what played out. Yeah. For for the the you know the, he basically goes through a history of the business that is Nike. Yep, I would say you know one of them is like this is just core, and then the other one is like oh that's that's interesting. Um, the uh, the 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 whole butt face retreat thing, right? Uh-huh. The reason they so they they, they would have meetings. Right? <laughs> He what? was talking about how funny it is that they had a multi-million dollar company where the entire management team would respond to, hey, butt face. <laughs> like, what? What? Basically, like, 
the the culture <laughs> of the management was so much like I'll fight you and like you're an idiot like you're totally thinking wrong like on this thing okay what the way he expressed it was like no idea or person was too sacred to be ridiculed not just to be disagreed with like to be ridiculed wow. for being terrible right <laughs> and <laughs> that's pretty fascinating oh yeah oh yeah and so they would have these retreats where they would get together and like just like smash each other it was Ray Dalio there? No, that's what that's, I'm saying. Because right? that's exactly yeah. what you think <laughs> of, right? You just, oh, yeah. No, but, but what idea he's, of meritocracy well, in its purest form, it seems. The, what he said was like, the last thing we took into account was someone's feelings, <laughs> especially <laughs> mine <laughs> as the founder. Oh, wow. And it's like, God, it's so right. Like not caring, like setting aside how you feel about the thing or whatever to actually figure out what is best. What wins? Like, what's actually yeah. right here? Yeah. Like, how do I think about this? And like, you to get to the best place, you have to be able to be unfiltered. You have to actually make the decisions without caring about like that person's perception of the way you accidentally kind of said that thing. And it's like, <laughs> no, I'm just going to say it so we can talk about it and try to figure it out here. Like, yeah, that's right. And, and just obviously, obviously we have so much of a history of like, knowing how important that is and valuing that. But the fact that it was like just reiterated through him, like that it just, you cannot care about people's feelings. You have to care about what's right and what's best and like what actually makes sense. Yeah. What's reasonable. Um, the other thing that I thought was really fascinating. Right. And, and it's funny cause I feel like I kind of manufacture projects. So I don't know. We'll see who knows. But he said, like, from, from the perspective of he's retired, he's done. Yeah. Stepped down as, as chairman of the board. Yeah. And, uh, you know, getting to do all these cool things. He talks about, like, going to the movies with Bill Gates, you know, like, just all kinds of whatever, like, just crazy stuff, <laughs> right? You're right, right. And, um, he, like, looking back on it all, and as he was even thinking about, like, writing the book, he said, like, above all, the thing that, like, more than anything in the world, he wished that he could relive the entire process, like, every single moment of the struggle. Yeah, right. It's like, he's he's cush, got everything you want, you know, whatever. And he's just like, but the glory in the struggle. <laughs> and, just, yeah. and so it, it is something that's kind of encouraging in the midst of it to be like, uh, you know, a guy on the other side of financial success is looking at it like, but to only be fighting again like that. Um, it's like <laughs> what he wishes he could somehow manufacture and create, but he can't. I mean, that's just so, how many people have we heard that we, we, we look up to for all sorts of different reasons, whether in like business acumen or whatever. Uh-huh. And it's just like, Obviously, the first one I thought of was Gary Vee when you say something like that. Oh yeah, you know, like the he, struggle is my oxygen. Or oh whatever. my goodness, yeah. he just talks about it's, the, it's a you got to fall in love with the process. Yep, yep. You have to you have to be obsessed and fall in love with the process and yep. love it. And I think it was really interesting that it's interesting that you say it as just like that's how he reiterates it or that's how he expresses it as mm-hmm. he gets to the end of the book or you know as he's explaining for him what he wishes he could do again. Mm. And I actually think that. At the beginning of the book, he talks about, he makes a reference to 
obviously he, he didn't want his life to be about respectability mm-hmm. yep. or like the idea of respectability. And he's searching for what is important yep. to him. And I think what you described there is what he ultimately, what he ultimately uh, unpackages for defining the term play uh-huh. to him. Uh-huh. Cause that's what it meant yep. to play. It, yep. It was the sport of it. It was the sport of it. Oh Yeah. No, and that was and the I'm culture. Like, what does he mean? It's almost like, what does he mean by play? Because he starts to say some things about it, but to- total effort, him- total effort. Yeah, like what? What? Because he says this at one point is like, no matter the human enterprise, and this is what like summed up Nike and the culture within the company, and like what they were about, both like in PR imaging and you know as a company. No matter the human enterprise, total effort, competing as if your life depended on it is always incredibly inspiring and uplifting. And so it's like yeah. you're, you're moved by someone like laying it all on the line to, to perform. Yep. And it's like, that's, it's total effort. That's yeah. That's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. What about for you, Jeremy? What about for you? As you read through that, there's just like, so many different things that you could point to, I'm sure. But to be like, these are the things that I've really got to, I would want another person to walk away from having read this, make sure that they get mm-hmm. this and understand this. Um, I mean, to me, like it is just incredibly, incredibly encouraging that a company like Nike that like, for me, I don't know. It just, it does inspire me. Like just the the brand itself, it has an ethos about it that's or, or athos, whatever. It's got it's got this feeling about it that's very successful. It's on all the best athletes. It's totally, and it's almost uh, it you know, I don't want to say godlike, but it, it's just like it's it's very it's a brand that you can't imagine it not existing. I can't imagine <laughs> Nike not existing. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, um, and to like this story it takes it back to its humanity and how it really was as simple as some guy getting on a plane and walking into a boardroom mm-hmm. with a bunch of japanese manufacturers and tell them i want to sell some shoes mm-hmm. and it's that sim- it's really it's literally <laughs> that simple yeah um and well, like that- anybody can change the world with that Yes, like it literally, yeah. you can grow something so big and just hard to imagine not existing from mm-hmm. something so small. It's it's really hard to imagine that there was a point in time when Nike was so vulnerable and small that literally like one person on the East Coast, who, you know, they call the Marlboro Man, <laughs> could threaten to stop Nike from being in existence. Like because as a competitor. As a competitor, yeah had an agreement with another, with the company that Blue Ribbon had a, an agreement with. Also, at the same point, you know, and it's like they get past that. They finally get past that. And then the next thing you know, they're in a lawsuit with the manufacturers of the Tigers, Onisuka. And at that point, it seems like there's no way they're going to survive. Like the court's going to rule that, you mm-hmm. know, they've been not upholding their agreement. And it's just like over and over again, like unsurmountable odds, unsurmountable odds. They overcome. And, and, and some of it's like, you just know in the back of your mind, you know, when you're reading it, you know, oh, Nike exists yeah, in the right. future. So you have the, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you have the benefit of having the foreknowledge, yeah, yeah. but we don't have that benefit in when we're in business, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. like every, 
it seems like you're in a fight where, you know, you could get a knockout punch at any minute, you know? Yep. So I love the point. The point and specifically about just the humanity of it is established. Mm-hmm. Like the relatability of it is established. Mm-hmm. That's the thing yep. that I think. That he really is like a normal dude. The yeah. examples, the example of like the, you know, I think plenty of people, I think a lot of people assume when you have a business, that's like Nike. That's just this, it seems like an irreplaceable company. That's just this, you know, how could it not exist? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't even think, think of the world in which Nike doesn't exist. The company mm-hmm. is just like, that's weird. Right. Mm-hmm. But to see it, to see it at its beginnings and to see it as this, you know, not, this isn't some sort of like trust fund dude mm-hmm. or just some guy who had a ton of money and stumbled upon it thing. Mm-hmm. This is a, wrote a paper about it in college had to borrow a thousand dollars from his dad so he could take the trip where he could do the pitch. You know, he just, and those are the beginnings of it. Yep. It, it wasn't anything that was this big. He had it made no matter what. It was a constant struggle for years from right. the beginning. Right. There was this grind that he was obsessed with it yep. to see it succeed. Yep. And, but that's, that's where, that's where a place like Nike comes from. Exactly. That's where yeah. a business like Nike comes from. That's how from, it can that. get so big. Yeah. Like it can't yeah. get that big. It can't be that successful if Without it's not struggle. used to struggle. Yeah. Because yeah. by the time you, if you start with all the money and then you try to grow, guess what happens? You hit struggle. And if you're not, you know, plenty of people with money, plenty of people to, with money can yeah. hit that moment uh-huh. and still learn how to deal with it. Sure. They right. can. Yeah. Right. But, but the idea that, you know, you don't have adverse, extreme adversity mm-hmm. and struggle or that it's just, you know, it's all handed to a person and that's how they achieve, achieve this great success. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, far from it. It's yep. actually, that's a, what a, what a great example that is regarding the amount of success, especially monetary success that a, that a business can have or a company can have. Yep. Um, you know, directly related to years of adversity from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Well, even like Phil Knight, the like the early, early on, like he's an accountant, like a full-time accountant mm-hmm. and managing Nike. Like yeah. nobody, nobody's thinking about that right now. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> Nike was a side hustle, but his, it was really, it wasn't a side, it was his main hustle. And then he subsidized his life with his 40-hour week job. Yep. Yep. No, yep. that's right. After he had, after he had sold encyclopedias door to door or whatever he uh, yeah. done. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind there of was so funny. much about that. That made me think of like when I was doing the door to door sort of, uh, selling, uh, I think I sold coupons for like, uh, O'Reilly or, or AutoZone or, or something. Seriously? Oh yeah. No, wow. I like the door to door stuff. So that was just, it made me obviously not the same scale. But we're, t- you know, just the relatability of it was still yep. this. Just I remember doing that kind of thing. Yep, mm-hmm. I I did think it was pretty interesting because like, okay, he completely, he did not do well with the door to door encyclopedia no. stuff. No. But then he worked at the securities company. Yes, Selling and yeah. uh, basically said that like l- he actually found success in selling there, and learning learning to sell was actually a big piece of like building him out as a businessman mm-hmm. 
Because kind of like we talked about how there are all these different dimensions to like what you have to be able to do to run an effective business and all the different yeah, departments right. that you're managing and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, until you get that selling part right, you don't have that sales department where you can manage them and, and know what, that they're doing their job like they should. You know, And so it, it's just, it's interesting because I was thinking about Kiyosaki going to Xerox and like all this there mm-hmm. and, and how everybody who is successful in business, it's like they start, they have to have selling most of them as a, as a key piece. Have, yep. Yeah. Have to. Yeah. Strange how much it does feel like there's a lot of overlap between Kiyosaki and Phil Knight mm-hmm. and the, as people. Well, they were both in Hawaii around the same time. Oh, huh, is that true? I mean. Yeah, no, I guess that's got to be true on the timeline. Kiyosaki grew up in Hawaii, yeah. That's funny. Yep. Both went to the military, both did sales. I think Kiyosaki, he ever got good at surfing? I would assume. Probably did. I, I would assume so. Phil said he picked it up pretty quickly. Surfing. So. It can't be that hard, right? So. Just kidding. I'm like the least coordinated person. On the planet. Oh my goodness. It so is. It, there's a certain humor. I thought something funny about like how stylish like Nike is mm-hmm. and that it was made by a bunch of accountants. Like, <laughs> like this is not a scream accountant. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh my goodness. Well, for you, Aaron, so far, like what is like, what were the things for you? Like your biggest, I love the relatability even from the beginning. I, I think, I think, for a person, for anybody who wants to set out to read, like they just, they love storytelling. They love, if they're interested in history, if they're interested in business. Mm-hmm. That book, I love that we started with that one for this whole idea of just like mm-hmm. Maven book club type thing mm-hmm. that is reading through that book because he's an exceptional writer, yep. like a storyteller, like a mm-hmm. storyteller. Like that, I think that actually speaks to the success of Nike as a oh. business. Because it was a business model. It's more about telling a story. That's their marketing. That's why they went with guys like Jordan. Mm-hmm. Like even when it came to like, um, I mean, to side, a little sidetrack here, but King Griffey Jr. was a person who just like, nobody was wearing baseball style shoes. Okay. Until King Griffey Jr. hits the scene mm-hmm. and he's like winning an MVP and they have to get King Griffey Jr. to get to sign with, with him, to sign with them. And all of a sudden, it's like your style, stylistically, you have like a baseball player who is putting out shoes that the general public actually is interested in purchasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was always about like you're telling a story about a person. That's, mm-hmm. that's why it worked. Like with MJ, it was always about just like, like Mike. Yeah, if yeah. I could be like Mike. Well, why yeah. do you want to be like Mike? Because he's he's unstoppable, he refuses to lose. Yep. Oh yeah. Well, and even before that, uh, did, that's did the you get, story of Nike. Did you get to? Did <laughs> that's you get the to the point? Did like, you get to the stuff about pre? Oh man, the that runner was pre was because that that's absolutely like barely, it, that's where it started. I barely. Oh yeah. I barely got into the. No, and and I, we don't have time to get in all that, but that's that kind of like spirit of the the total effort competitor. Right. Like the reason they loved pre was because like against the advice of his coaches, he would put everything into every race every time. Yeah. You know, he wasn't a pacer. Like he didn't pace yeah. himself or you know, it was and like, everybody thought it was a terrible idea, but like he had to, that was how he ran. So, I mean, good stuff. That makes all this. I think the relatability, the storytelling, I just think it's an incredible, I mean, obviously I'm the third way through the thing, but 
being a third of the way through the thing, it's so apparent that it's just incredible storytelling, very informative regarding just like his business acumen related to these particular experiences mm-hmm. that he can point to and the relatability of that and how you can learn from that. I, I just think it's just anybody that it's like a must read. I think for anybody who's go, like business related or just, it's yeah. like, no, you can do it. Like you, anybody can do it. I think it's that kind of book. It's definitely. Yes. Especially, I mean, how good of, how good is it for people? Cause so many people tend to give up, mm-hmm. tend to give up when hardship comes yeah, or like terrible pain. circumstances. Well, it must like have pain. been a sign. Must've been a sign. And that's what it's supposed to be. Must've been yeah. a sign that wasn't supposed to be. Must've been a sign that like, maybe you need to try harder. Maybe you need to dig a little Maybe bit deeper. Maybe put some more effort into this whole thing. Maybe there's some stuff that like <laughs> you can learn from other people mm-hmm. because you're wrong. You know, it's it's a list of stuff. Yep. It's just it would it's great for people to learn those lessons, especially people who are, you know, in the middle of terrible circumstances or just they want to start their own business. Mm-hmm. Or they've tried starting their own business. And it's like they keep you know, hitting it's like hitting against a wall that you can't break through. Yep. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think those. It's very apparent, just even a third of the way through that book, how how great that is. Yep. So, cool. It's very interesting. Nike to this day still holds true to that whole like the person kind of thing. You know, did you know that Dwayne? I think it's Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh yeah, he has a line with Nike. I didn't, but I believe and it. Kevin Hart has a line. With yeah, Nike. I didn't know oh that Kevin gosh. Hart does. Yeah. Yeah. And like they have their own logo. It's about the per- there's like a story. It's just like something about the person, they in particular like motivational people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, inspiring people. Inspiring yep. people. That's what they hang their hat on. Yep. You know, and that's it's probably a pretty good marketing campaign to do that because oh, yeah. it affects people. It moves people. Yep. yep. Um. So somehow we have to do that in real estate. <laughs> I will figure it out. Somehow we have to do that in real estate. I think we're moving people, right? We've seen it. We've totally, I mean, we have seen it. You know, it's just, especially with yeah. people who just like, they don't, they don't know if they can overcome particular problems oh, yeah, to get into like dude. home ownership or like a terrible mm-hmm. circumstance. Oh, even what that, uh, yeah. the lady who you got is, did she, she closed last week, right? Um, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts yep. of, people have terrible circumstances if they're trying to get through or they just never think. Oh, we think yeah. of people who've had like foreclosures or like bankruptcies or, and they have no idea like that they could even, right. how can I better my living arrangement? And to oh, help yeah. people, we've seen people, you know, helping them through that to where they can get home ownership or selling a place. Yeah, and, and, and it's the mixture of like having the humility, humility to talk to the right people, to get the right game plan, right? You get the game plan in place. Totally. Like, what am I doing? And what's the right, the best next step? What's really right with that? And then the hard work, like it's. Yes. You know, success at most anything just requires those two things. <laughs> a lot of them. Which to him, which to Phil Knight was play. It's a pretty good perspective to have on that, though. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just of all the words to choose. <laughs> that's to, that's for, plan. Yeah. For that to be, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. as opposed to, it's it's funny because he would say play. Mm-hmm. And Gary Vee would say grind. Yeah. It's They're a, talking about yeah. the same those thing. Are, though. They're talking yeah. about yeah, the same right. thing when they say it. That's right. So. All right. Well, hey, cool. thanks. Thanks for joining us, Maven Show. Right. Yep. Appreciate y'all. Peace. See you. Bye. Yep. 
Thanks for watching The Maven Show. Be sure to subscribe to our channel for all the latest clips and episodes. Also, comment below with what you thought was the most interesting or helpful from this video. And if you want to help us out, please like and share our posts on social media. Thanks so much.